Welcome to another episode of the What's Good Games podcast, your source for video game news, commentary, analysis, and funny stuff. I'm Andrea Renee, joined once again in studio. Nope, just kidding. That's not this week. That's next <laughs> month. Um, that's Brittany Brabacher is back. Welcome back. <laughs> Thank you. Oi, Gav. Oi. Did you, uh, did you actually hang out with a lot of British people? No, none at all. That was totally wrong. What, uh, what did the people, what did Romans say? I'm going to take over everything and kill I have you. no idea. Rowan said. <laughs> That's, That's probably what they said. Uh, and uh, Christine Stiver is here. Hello, yes. As always. We're back together. Not I am in the person constant. yet, but I would, I would, I'll send you digital hugs. This is the last episode we're all going to be together for like a month or three weeks or something crazy. Really? It's very sad. It- yeah, because Andrea's gone the next was- two weeks. And then the week she comes back, I'm in Orlando. What? Stop leaving. Both of you, stop leaving. I'm going to quit I, the show. No, no, no. This is it. This is all the trouble I have planned. I promise, Simon. <laughs> this is her. That is her um, Her yearly pilgrimage to Universal Studios in Florida to go to Halloween Horror Nights. Something that I want to do with you at some point, Britt, but uh, yeah. can't do it in October because... I will have just come back from a trip, and I just can't possibly think about flying again. Yeah, good luck. Um, yeah, I, I think thankfully we have a long stretch at home. We are flying to Chicago for Thanksgiving, um, but I am hopefully going to stay here in the Bay until the Game Awards, which are coming up relatively quickly. How? Which is wild. How? Yeah, because time goes by so quickly. I feel like we were recording in July and we were like, holy shit, you guys, it's July already. You guys, it's already almost the end of September. It is the end of September. It is the end yeah. of September. Happened. It's officially the season of... <laughs> I have to of- pay more rent next month. Oh. I was going to get my- all cute about fall leaves and big sweaters and cozy pants and Simon's like, fuck that. I gotta pay more rent money. They upped my rent by 3%. <laughs> That rhyme. Oh, I'm so glad it's only three percent. That's, yeah, that's that's the standard. Not too bad. Rate, I think in LA, or at least in this part. One time, I had a landlord here in San Francisco try to up our rent by four hundred dollars a uh, month. I can beat that. We had someone try to up our rent by two thousand dollars a month. What? <laughs> yeah, two thousand dollar in San Francisco. Yeah. <gasps> Holy crap! Somebody else bought the building and then. <laughs> Upped the rent by two thousand dollars. Oh boy! And we were like, cool, we're moving out. Bye. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, when they upped it by four hundred dollars, um, John just outmathed them. He went to our landlord and was like, "Listen, if you 
This is the most John thing the ever. Rent, and we decide to leave and we're out of the apartment for X amount of days before you're able to get a new tenant in. You will have just lost that entire increase. So how about no, you're not increasing the rent. And they were like, okay, we won't increase the rent. <laughs> <laughs> and then we ended up leaving like six months later anyway to move down uh, into San Mateo where we are now because uh, we wanted the studio space. Um, but yeah, it was funny how because I mean that's what he does. He negotiates all day long in his job. So he's like, listen here, landlord man. <laughs> <laughs> Drop some truth bombs on your ass. <sighs> oh, oh my gosh. Oh, that's funny. But yeah. That's anyway, why I love John. Yeah, he's the best. I love him too. He's working hard. Um, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for coming to the show. I'm sorry, uh, we're kind of rambling a bit today. We are still Britt and I are still a little jet lagged and uh kind of a little loopy and, and Steimer hurt her arm somehow. Uh, no, she, that's a that's a recurring that's a life not Steimer's lifelong, arm but... hurts. So we're kind of um Out a there. little bit um in, in in need of your patience uh this week because it's gonna be a whopper of a podcast i'm predicting because so much happened this week not only in what we have been playing but also in the news so it's gonna be it's gonna be a good one a long one probably <laughs> uh, we're gonna go ahead and get into the news in just a minute but we do have just a little bit of housekeeping to get into before we talk about our fantastic sponsors of this week's episode which are quip and stitch fix but if you guys are going to be in san jose california for twitchcon we've got some exciting news we will be making an appearance at twitchcon on friday october 26th you may have heard us previously talk about how the wonderful production crew at Twitch uh, with Miss Mary Kish, who has been a guest on the show, came out to our studio and did kind of a behind-the-scenes tour. That episode of that brand-new show is finally going to debut at TwitchCon, and so we're going to be there to to watch the debut. And we hope if you guys are planning to come to TwitchCon, you'll let us know. Uh, I think we're going to try to organize a meetup at TwitchCon so we can get together and say hi to anybody who's going to be there. We're going to work on those details. We have about a month to get you those. Uh, but just so you guys know, we will be making an appearance there. And also a big thank you and shout out to everybody who joined us yesterday at the happy hour Q&A, which is, of course, available to all of our members of Patreon at patreon.com slash what's good games. If you guys like the show, if you think we're doing a good job and you want to help support the show, that's a great way to do it. Again, patreon.com slash what's good games. We have a fantastic group of people over there. And uh, we hope that you join us there sometime. And... That's it for housekeeping, unless, Britt, did you have something that I might have forgotten about? Nay. You nailed it. You surely did. You were like, yesterday, and I'm like, no. But then I realized, yes. (laughs) (laughs) That will have been yesterday. It will have been yesterday. The magic of podcast recording early, (laughs) ladies and gentlemen. It's all about keeping track of space and time, which is I don't. I just follow my calendar. Where should I be right now? Calendars are a wonderful, wonderful tool. Um, Let's get into some details from our first sponsor who helps make What's Good Games possible. And that is from the lovely folks over at Quip. You guys have heard us talk about them before, but we really love these toothbrushes and we hope that you guys will give them a shot and... The reason why we love them is because when you walk down the toothbrush aisle at the store, we realize that it doesn't really take long to recognize that there's a ton of options. But let's be honest, most of them are gimmicks. And the truth is you really just need something that guides the simple habits most of us get wrong when we brush our teeth every day. And Quip is here to help. 
For starters, Quip is an electric toothbrush that's a fraction of the cost of bulkier brushes while still packing just the right amount of vibrations to help keep your teeth clean. One of my favorite parts is the built-in timer that helps you clean the dentist-recommended two minutes with guiding pulses that remind you when to switch sides. So you get a nice 30 seconds on each side, upper and lower. It's all built in, ready for you. Quip subscription plans are not just for convenience, but for your health. They deliver new brush heads on a dentist-recommended schedule every three months for just $5, including free shipping worldwide. Plus, if you're a traveler like us, Quip also comes with a mount that suctions right to your mirror and unsticks to use as a cover for hygienic travel wherever you take your teeth, which is hopefully everywhere. (laughs) They're backed by a network of over 20,000 dentists and hygienists and hundreds of thousands of happy brushers that use Quip every day. Plus, they were on Oprah's O-List, named one of Time's Best Inventions and is the first subscription electric toothbrush accepted by the American Dental Association. Quip starts at just $25, and if you go to getquip.com slash what's good, right now you'll get your first refill pack for free. That's getquip, G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash what's good, and get your first refill pack on us. Thank you, Quip, for sponsoring this episode, and we'll tell you guys more about our other sponsor, Stitch Fix, a little bit later on in the show. For now, let's get into some news. Holy moly, crossplay is happening, you guys. I'll take shit. I didn't expect to see today for 500, Alex. No shit. <laughs> this re- notice really just came out of nowhere. Now, we know that Sony has said that they are working on it and that they're talking about it internally and they were looking at solutions, but I... I guess I anticipated there being an announcement that Crossplay was going to launch on a specific date. Not like, hey, it's on now. <laughs> hey, hey we, got, we got the beta. I hear this Fortnite thing is popular. Maybe we should help. <laughs> yeah, so this... Uh, let me read a little bit um, from the post that was on the PlayStation blog. This, of course, is a statement from John Cadera, who is the president and global CEO of Sony Interactive Entertainment. He writes, following a comprehensive evaluation process, SIE identified a path forward supporting cross-platform features for select third-party content. We recognize that PS4 players have been eagerly awaiting an update, and we appreciate the community's continued patience as we have navigated through this issue to find a solution. The first step will be an open beta beginning today for Fortnite that will allow cross-platform gameplay progression and commerce across PlayStation 4, Android, iOS, Nintendo Switch, Xbox One, Microsoft Windows, and Mac operating systems. We see the beta as an opportunity to conduct thorough testing and ensures cross-platform play is best on PlayStation, while being mindful about the user experience from both a technical and social perspective. For 24 years, we have strived to deliver the best gaming experience to our fans by providing a uniquely PlayStation experience, and today, the communities around some games have evolved to the point where cross-platform experiences and significant add significant value to players. In recognition of this, we have completed a thorough analysis of the business mechanics required to ensure the PlayStation experience for our users remains intact today and in the future as we look to open up the platform. This represents a major policy change for SIE, and we are now in the planning process across the organization to support this change. We will update the community once we have more details to share, including more specifics regarding the beta timeframe and what this means for other titles going forward. In the meantime, please stay tuned for more information via the PlayStation blog and social channels. Oh. Wow. You know, I have yeah. to say, I thought they were just giving us lip service for a very long time. Similar to how they've given us lip service on changing your PSN name 
R.I.P. Right. Uh, so I never really thought this would happen. But I guess Fortnite is such a juggernaut that they can't ignore it. I do wonder if this will fix if people are already stuck. Like if people have already. Uh, so I'm glad you brought that up, Steimer. Oh, OK. Um, Epic Games has realized that a lot of people had the same question and they took to Twitter today to say, um if you have made an additional Fortnite account to play on multiple systems, one, an account merging feature to combine Battle Royale purchases will be coming in November. And two, we will enable unlinking a console from one Fortnite account and relinking to another Fortnite account coming in a few days. I think, if anything, I was expecting cross-progression. I wasn't expecting them to actually do cross-play, which is like, wow, that's awesome. I knew for sure. I didn't. I can't say I knew for sure. I had a sneaking suspicion that something like this would happen. But again, I thought it would just been cross-progression. So this is great. And also, I think, you know, when they say it, it involves a major policy change or whatever the exact wording is, it goes to show that this wasn't as easy as flipping a switch Unlike what Epic did last year. Remember that when they accidentally turned on crossplay? Turned for it on. on. Yeah. That was so funny. So, I mean, technically, yes, they could have probably flipped a switch or caused a bug or whatever it was. Um, but, the, you know, obviously, it's not just Sony and PlayStation. They have stakeholders, they have to do a whole bunch of mumbo jumbo to get this thing approved. So, I don't know how long this has been in talks to get fixed, but I'd be curious to know how long it actually took from start to finish to get this thing done and put together. Yeah, it would be really interesting to know. And I'm also curious to see which developers are going to implement this. We obviously know that Psyonix and Rocket League have been asking for this a long time, so we can anticipate them jumping on right away. We know that Minecraft has cross-play as well. Um, but there are titles, you know, for example, Fallout 76 from Bethesda that have already come out the gate and said we will not be doing cross-play in our multiplayer. And major other juggernaut franchises in the multiplayer space like Activision's Call of Duty or EA's Battlefield, you know, they haven't said a peep about whether they're going to look at cross-play as an option either. Because in, in when it comes to competitive multiplayer in particular, you know, when you're mixing PC players in with literally any other platform you have a lot of you know balancing things you need to be concerned with so i'm not sure how how many people are actually going to get on board i feel like uh, this might be going out on a limb Ooh. i feel like there was a lot of like hullabaloo about something that not that many publishers are actually going to take advantage of mm. uh, do you think that that is a crazy idea or do you think i'm wrong and that a bunch of publishers are going to do this I mean, they can't just do it. I think they pretty much word in here that like this is for a select, a select group, right? What, don't they? Let's. We're like now. I already lost. Select. It's no, 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 yeah. Paragraph. There's a quote. Um, yeah, the, select the beta third party is content. like a. Yeah. Yeah. So like, but, uh, not once, everyone and their mom will be able to do this. I even think they'll be select about who they choose. Uh, I think you're gonna have to prove that your game is some sort of money maker for them in order to. Yeah, but really that, get this. Could that be a PR nightmare in a sense, though, if Sony's going to look at a, a game developer in the eye and be like, we did this for these games, we're not doing it for your games. And then that game developer comes to a website or a journalist and is like, Sony denied us, unless Sony comes out right and admits what their policy is. Mm. Well, I mean, sure. I just mean, I mean for right now, it's technically a beta. So they can lean on that pretty easily and be like, sure. sorry, we're just testing right now. Yeah. And they can leave it in beta as long as they want. I'm looking ahead. I'm looking into the future. Platform policy, when it comes to hardware, 
is a weird, twisty, windy thing. And I know just a smidgen about it from what I've heard from developers over over my many years on the industry because it's not something that people talk about because, first off, it's it's really difficult to understand even for people who work on the platform. But it also, like, is is created in, in ways that sometimes don't make sense outwardly, but make sense once you kind of like dig into the weeds of why the, a certain policy was created. I want to believe that if they're going to adopt a policy of cross play for the platform for at least one game, that they would open it up to as many games as possible, but they would leave it up to the publishers and the developers to decide if cross play made sense for their title. Now, I don't know what entails from a technical standpoint enabling crossplay. If we would see indie developers, for example, wanting to implement crossplay in their games, if that's something that they could even afford to do, because I don't know how much how expensive it is to write that tech into your code. But I don't know why you wouldn't just open it up to all of the major publishing partners if you're going to open it up to Epic Games, right? Like, why wouldn't you open it up to, like, 2K and right. Ubisoft? Because they don't yeah. have a game like Fortnite. <laughs> well, I mean, yes and no. Think about think about Ubisoft in particular, who is clearly focusing on live service games over the last couple of years. Games like For Honor and Rainbow Six. And Neither Recon of those games were nearly as successful, but yes. <laughs> I, listen, uh, Simer, I get, I, get, I get that Fortnite is the most successful game, but my point is... All of those games have microtransactions in them that support them, and Sony benefits when you buy microtransactions on their platform versus other platforms. So if opening up crossplay in a game like The Division 2, for example, would encourage people to buy it on PlayStation 4 so they can play with their one or two friends on PC or on Xbox or wherever, then why wouldn't Sony want to do that? I think right now their mindset is they think in their minds that it it's a stronger argument if you don't allow it to make your friends switch to the platform that you're on. Now, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. I don't, you know, but I think that that's why this is Fortnite test is happening. I think they're looking to see what difference, if it makes any difference at all. And like how the amount of hours Fortnite has played on PS4 versus the other consoles and then versus how much money they're making. Like, this will very much indicate how they move forward with this. Yeah, I agree with that. And that makes sense from a business perspective. But thinking just purely from a PR perspective, it's Sony made this decision. They're like, we're not going to do this because PlayStation's the best platform to play this on. And then everyone raised a huge stink. Sony's like, okay, yeah, this is does not this does not make us look good. They went back. They now allowed it. If they were to go back again and, and not allow that, cross platform across you know for certain games i feel like that would be that would just look real bad sorry i know i'm a little loopy for my jet lag but i hope my point is coming across that um <clears throat> it, it just it would i feel like it would be again just bad pr sorry i think <laughs> they would get away with it for again for as long as it's in a quote-unquote beta and since they have said select third-party content um mm-hmm. how long i don't know but that definitely buys them some time. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's also worth considering. I mean, and I, I, I think there's merit to what you said. Um, but I also think it's worth considering that the reason they did the beta with 
Epic is because not only do they have a history of partnerships with Epic, uh, they launched Paragon exclusively on PlayStation 4, right? Uh, which really paved the way for Fortnite to be on, on, on PlayStation 4 in the form that it is. But Epic also has direct access to an engineering team. So they would be able to probably move more nimbly to change things on the back end. As far as like working with the policy uh, or the platform policy, uh, if they needed to change things within the code, for example, in order to adhere to specific rules that PlayStation wants to put into place regarding like gating certain content or certain communities or certain countries or whatever the rules might be, uh, that may be a reason they wanted to work with Epic versus working with like, you know, Psionics. Just food for thought. That's coming calling it so assuming that you know they do open up cross play for all of the games going forward do you think this could be the beginning of a video game industry where console wars are basically well they're they're still a thing but where it literally just comes down to the exclusives per console do you know what i'm saying like is this Mm -hmm. the beginning of five ten years down the line where if there's a third-party multiplayer game announced the assumption is that it's just going to be cross-play well i i think that it's always been about the exclusives when it comes to the console business and the console race but it also will come down to what the partnerships are Mm -hmm. for example i specifically chose to play destiny on PlayStation because they had a partnership with PlayStation that has exclusive content, exclusive strikes, exclusive guns, um, etc. And so that put me into the PlayStation ecosystem for that game. Now, I, there have been times where I've contemplated starting an alternate account on my Xbox because I have several friends who only play on Xbox and I've never gotten to play Destiny with them. And the idea of playing Destiny cross-platform is so exciting for me because I love that game and I spend so much time in that world and there's all of these friends that I have that play on Xbox that I never get to talk to about it. Um, that being said, I don't think it's going to eliminate the the console wars because of crossplay. because I stand by my first statement that I don't think there's going to be that many developers that implement crossplay. I don't think it's going to be as widespread as as some people think it might be or if it is going to be it's going to take a long time for that to disseminate maybe even into the next generation when developers actually will build it into their game yeah that's my thought too but Britt, i I think to your point and andrea's already kind of mentioned it but exclusives are always important and that's why microsoft just doubled down and bought like a bunch of studios at e3 yeah Yeah. (laughs) they were like oh shit this matters so maybe we should actually invest some money into this Mm-hmm. Yeah, also, they're gearing up for down. a really Jesus fantastic Christ, next generation. This fucking game. God <laughs> <laughs> damn it, Steimer. <laughs> Gotta let Crackdown's it go, baby never girl. Coming out, Steimer. Just, no. just, just deal with it. I'm bad at letting things go. <laughs> just deal with it. <laughs> it's never coming. Tough it's love. been canceled. Just if that um, game got canceled now, I would. I don't even know what I would do. I would be like, "What the fuck is wrong with all of your development teams?" <laughs> Also, the timing of this announcement, because um, the new Fortnite season begins season tomorrow. Season six, yeah. I think it's tomorrow. It's it, very soon. It, div- it began mm. today, I believe. Oh, today. Yeah. So, hey. Today is in the day Maybe the podcast tomorrow? goes up. Uh, that's a great question. Uh, season six, Fortnite. I think it's the 27th. Um, everything we know. 
Let me click on this. Thanks, PC Gamer. Something about llamas and a cube. Oh, they're like, hey, you have ad blocker on. I'm like, hell yeah, I do. I want a llama in a cube. Of course. I always pause it on on sites that I go to, though. Let's see here. When does it start? When does Fortnite Season 6 start? It starts on September 27th. So that was yesterday from when the podcast comes out and tomorrow from today. Cool. So yeah, buy those battle passes. Give Sony your money. Tell them they did a good thing. (laughs) Or don't. For the love of God, (laughs) just don't get angry about it. You've been bitching about it forever. I saw some people like being like, sure, fine, whatever on Twitter. And I'm like, oh my God, the internet is so frustrating. You can't can't appease the internet. You can't can't win with the internet. (gasps) No. Oh. Yeah. And I wrote, I saw some people writing, oh, they finally caved and like poking fun at Sony. And I'm like, dog, that's not how you get the shit you ask for. Catch what flies with honey. This is oh. why we can't have nice things. Yeah, is, thank you, Brittany. You are correct. All right. On to our next story, which is a doozy. And I just merely titled it the saga of Telltale Games. Strap in, kids. This is technically like three separate stories kind of all rolled into one. So last week, you know, the very, very end of the week, uh, we heard the news, the very abrupt news uh, about Telltale Games closing, doing a massive layoff and running with a skeleton crew to finish remaining episodes of Minecraft Story Mode as part of a Netflix deal. And people thought, of course, what about The Walking Dead? So, um what was really great is GameSpot did a pretty good write-up, and I'm not going to read the whole thing here because it's very long, kind of dating back to March 2017 as to kind of like what went wrong with Telltale. So the announcement came last Friday, September 21st, and it said that it was enacting a, quote, majority studio closure. It resulted in hundreds of jobs being lost at the San Rafael, California-based studio, um, and that includes, of course, The Walking Dead, Game of Thrones, um, Tales from the Borderland, a variety of other uh, games. Clearly, sad and shocking announcement sent waves through the industry. How could this have happened? What happens next? And they've put together a timeline. So I want to just kind of skip ahead in this timeline, but if you guys want to go back, it starts with when Telltale CEO and founder Kevin Bruner announced that he left the company back in March 2017. Uh, It was later reported that Bruner was forced out as he clashed with the company's board of directors, and Telltale's other co-founder, Dan Connor, took over as CEO. Um, In September, if you guys remember, Telltale hired the former Zynga executive Pete Hawley to become this company's next CEO. Uh, before Zynga, Holly was the production lead at the Fable studio Lionhead, working alongside Peter Molyneux on that series until 2003, and then he spent some time with Sony and then at EA. All right, fast forward to September 2018. Um, Telltale informed the employees, according to Variety, that its negotiations with media giant AMC for more funding were, quote, going well. With the company expected to complete the funding process in the coming weeks, there was also reportedly a deal being negotiated with the South Korean mobile game giant Smilegate for more funding. Uh, Both companies apparently left their negotiations with Telltale on Thursday, just hours before an eventful Friday. The reports offered no explanation for why AMC and Smilegate left the negotiations on the same day, and Variety had previously reported that the movie studio Lionsgate also decided to pull out of a financial deal with Telltale. Uh, according to other reports, uh, Telltale Games holds a meeting 
Uh, last Friday, we're informed more than 200 developers they were losing their jobs right then and there. According to Variety, employees were given paper paychecks for pay through the end of the day. They were then reportedly instructed to leave the building within 30 minutes. Employees were allowed back in for a period of three hours on the following Monday to collect their personal belongings. The affected staffers received no severance pay. And their health care cover reportedly only extended until the end of the month. Management told employees that they should consider applying for unemployment benefits. Former Telltale CEO Kevin Bruner wrote a blog post on his personal website talking about he clashed with Telltale's board of directors and the future of the company. He shared no more information about what he and the board disagreed over. Telltale's board of directors includes Lionsgate CEO John Feltheimer and former Electronic Arts CEO John Riccatello, which... Everything he touched turns to fucking ash. Um, Telltale's official statement explains that the company is undergoing a major studio closure with only around 25 people remaining on board to fulfill the company's obligations to its board and partners. Pete Hawley, the CEO, says it was an incredibly difficult year filled with insurmountable challenges. He said he's proud of Telltale's efforts, but at the end of the day, did not translate to sales. Dan Connors told Variety that Telltale had no choice but to stop production after it failed to close another round of financing, saying, quote, sadly, everyone was so focused on doing what was required to keep the company going that when the last potential partner backed out, there were no other options. Bullshit. Yes. So before I go into the class action lawsuit and the next step of this, I just want to stop and like digest this for a second because that's fucking horrifying. Like the idea that a company would think that that's even an acceptable idea (laughs) that this is how we're going to handle the firing of over 200 people is just despicable in every way. This is how you don't run a business. No, not at all. And I've been part of a layoff before and they're hard no matter how good the company is to you. If the company's like, we're going to give you six months of severance and six months of medical care and you can keep working for the next month if you want to, but you don't have to. And like they give you like they roll out the red carpet on your way out the door. Like even if even if they do that, it still is a gut punch and it sucks and it hurts. And the idea of having to upend your life is chaotic at, at, at best. And it's. It's a shitty place to be. I don't know if either of you have ever gone through a layoff before. Mm-mm. I've been around when other people have gotten laid off. Yeah, I've been in both situations where I was the one person less standing on my machinima team of about 14 people. I was the only one who didn't get fired. And I was like, um, this, this wait, how, how am I supposed to do all of these people's jobs? Um, but also... I've been part of a, a, a layoff of one of my producing jobs um, at a dot com company in early in my career, and it's and that, that when I got fired then well, I didn't get fired it was, it was a redundancy they eliminated my entire department um, all of the producers got got let go we got two weeks of severance and even that was like two weeks man that's like one paycheck I don't yeah, that's nothing. I don't know what I'm gonna do. I don't know what I'm gonna do and here in the state of California applying for unemployment is actually semi-difficult because so many people do it and so the state has relatively strict rules and so with this company being based in california particularly being based in the bay area and knowing how expensive it is we just talked about rent <laughs> at the yeah. top of the show like my heart just breaks for all of these people what's 
even more shady, there's a lot of shady things about this whole situation, is on September 20th, apparently management told their employees that the negotiations were going well, but then at the 11th hour, these companies backed out. That sounds like a just a freaking lie you told all of. You know whether or not negotiations are going well or not. So it's not like these companies backed out at the last, oh, we totally didn't see that coming. Bullshit. And also, if you were that down to the wire, that also doesn't have a uh, that doesn't seem right either this reminds me a lot of uh shit what was the name of that studio in rhode island 31 or something 31 studios or oh something? you're talking about kurt Schilling's studio? yeah 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 like when they it, look up they the did something similar it was kind of just like you people walked in and were let go immediately and i don't think they 38 got, studios what 38 studios 38 the name shit of the studio. i got the wrong number but i was close 31 i just add seven it's fine um, but, uh, yeah. And I by think- the way, just as a reminder, Kurt Schilling paid $2.5 million on a settlement over what happened at 38 Studios. Yes, as well. He should have. That was also I'll- very bad. Also, <laughs> this they- quote by, sorry. Oh, no, I was going to say, but they were at least in Rhode Island, which granted, I actually don't know the price of living, but I don't think is anywhere near the astronomical bullshit that is the Bay Area. This quote by Dan Connors, the co-founder, says, sadly, everyone was so focused on doing what was required to keep the company going that when the last potential partner backed out, there were no other options. Bullshit. There's just so much wrong with that. If you are the co-founder or the CEO of a company, you, ha- you there are so many options I feel like you can exhaust and you you can tell when things are going wrong. The, this isn't like this came out of nowhere. I feel like they lied to their employees. They try to put a you know, a hunky dory face story to it. And then she hit the fan and they're like, sorry guys. It's just, it's such bad management. It's just really sad. It's just really shitty. It, the, the really frustrating part is that they know what their run rate is. So like a common, a common figure in game development is kind of like knowing what your burn rate is, right? Like how much your studio costs to keep open and running on a day-to-day basis, on a month to month basis on a, and, a, and on a yearly basis. So like when you go, to a potential investor for a project, like let's say Telltale were to approach a platform like Xbox and say, hey, Xbox, we want to do an exclusive series for Minecraft Story Mode. It's only going to be available on Xbox. Um, and we want you to fund it. And this is how much it's going to cost. And part of that part of that budget is the studio's burn rate. Like this is how much it's going to cost us to, to make this game because it's how much our employees cost and et cetera, et cetera. So like the idea that the the executive staff has this knowledge and knows what their runway is going to cost them, but then it said hung at all on this one round of funding and then they closed the next day seems so suspicious yeah. that I, I don't even like know where to begin. And I really hope the details of what went wrong eventually come to light and that Pete Hawley as the CEO, regardless of if, if it was his direct fault, it was his, it's his indirect fault at the way this all shook out because as the CEO and the leader of that company, he has say over the all of the policy of the company. Um, and it's just it's just so infuriating to me the idea that these people were given no notice, given a paper check for their pay through the end of the day. Like that's just so gross. It's just so disgusting. I don't even like have words no. to describe it. So, which leads me to the next part of the story. Of course, these employees, 
pissed off, banded together and said, fuck Telltale, we're going to hit them with a class action lawsuit. Um, so this write-up comes from Polygon. Um, a former Telltale employee is suing the company in a class action lawsuit alleging that it violated labor laws on the books in California and nationwide when it laid off hundreds of employees last week. The complaint filed in federal court in San Francisco is a class action suit submitted by Vernie Roberts on behalf of himself and his fellow laid off workers. In the complaint, Roberts says that Telltale, which is based in San Francisco suburb San Rafael, uh, let go of employees, quote, without cause and without providing them, quote, advance written notice as required by the Warren Act. The Federal Workers Adjustment and Retraining Notification Act, which became law in 1988, stipulates that most businesses with at least 100 full-time workers must notify employees 60 days in advance of any plant closings or mass layoffs. The act defines a mass layoff as a reduction of 50 or more employees within a 30-day period. If the total comprises at least one third of the company's workforce or any layoff of 500 or more workers, California's state level version of the Warren Act, which is even stricter because the, the labor laws here in California are actually quite rigid, uh, which took effect in 2003, uh, lowers that company size threshold to just 75 full or part time workers and applies any reduction of at least 50 employees. Both the state and federal laws require an advance notice of 60 days. Um, clearly this, uh, just on paper, it looks like this layoff qualifies. However, um, I wanted to just continue reading here. The plaintiffs are requesting a jury trial and are seeking to win the aforementioned compensation for the laid off employees an amount equal to the wages and benefits that the workers would have received if their employment continued for 60 days after the termination, plus interest in accordance with the federal and California versions of the act. Plus interest. Um, That's amazing. They're like, because yeah. we know how long court cases can take, so yeah. pay up. I mean, you got you got to ask for it. Yeah. I mean, I'm surprised I haven't asked for damages. Um, so there was an update. Telltale may be able to fight the lawsuit on the basis of the federal Warren Act, but it will likely have a tougher time defending its actions according to the California v- versions of the law. This update comes from Games Daily. Uh, Game Daily, it's a publication. The federal law offers some exceptions for businesses, situations in which a company would be exempt from the 60-day advance notice provision. The exemptions include, quote, business circumstances that were not reasonably foreseeable, end quote. I don't think Variety that's reported true. On- in a court of law, every every word makes a difference. Variety reported Monday that Telltale was working to secure a round of financing, but the last possible backer, which may have been Lionsgate, uh, pulled out, forcing the studio to initiate shutdown plans and lay off most of the team. Attorney Richard Hogue, who spoke to Game Daily, said that in light of Variety's reporting, Telltale may be able to cite the Warnack's business circumstances exception in its defense. However, the California counterpart does not feature any such clause. Quote, the fact that California did not bring over the pertinent exemption would seem to put Telltale in a precarious compliance position with the state. This is just so sad and so shitty. I, I hate this. I hate everything about this. Telltale. I mean, I love their games. You know the, the few I did play, and it's just this is just so bad. My my wonder though is if they. Are, I mean, rightfully they should be sued, and it sounds like they violated the shit out of everything. But if there's no company, where do you get your money from? There's still 25 people, right? But it sounds like they don't have those a pot poor to piss souls. In, Can you imagine alone? being one of those people working on Minecraft right now, and you're just like, Fuck. why would I even want to do this? You yeah. wouldn't. Like morale has got to hit like hit rock bottom, but I'm sure they're grateful that they still have a paycheck coming in. Yeah, for however long that might be. That's um, true. Some people don't, 
you know, don't have the luxury to be pissed off and quit just because they're mad, right? Um, and it's it's frustrating that these people now have to go through the court system to try to get the compensation that they should have just been given. Um, obviously, a lot of Telltale's developers have taken to social media to talk about how they feel about the situation, uh, which is not great. Um, and one of them had mentioned uh, that his he was recommending for people to not work overtime because he talked about the nights and weekends he spent crunching to finish these games anticipating he if he ever left the company they would take care of him and he's like i, I they basically just told me all of my hard work was for nothing they pr- gave me the bird and told me to be on my fucking merry way and wow. gave me no overtime so he's like if you're not getting paid for your overtime hours stop working it and of course, this has reinvigorated discussions about unions within the video game industry, whether they're good or whether they're bad. And um, it also, on a more positive note, has highlighted the camaraderie in the video game industry. When this news broke and when the news of the Capcom Vancouver shutdown also broke, we saw tons of studios uh, tweeting their support. Um, posting links to open job sites, to using the hashtag to let people know where they could refer people who want to apply for positions. And I think that that's something that's really amazing about this industry that we don't really see in a lot of others out there, that when there's like a mass layoff at a company like Salesforce, like I don't see other marketing agencies like jumping up to be like, hey guys, come come work for us, right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, because um, our industry is so small and intimate. Um, also, you know, this is obviously very, very unfortunate. But my hope is, if anything good come out of this, it can come out of this. It's that you know, this isn't the first time we've heard about studio conditions being like this, working so much overtime, getting treated like shit, not being compensated for the extra work they're putting in. Hopefully, this highlights the fact that this is not okay. And if news gets out that you're pulling this shit, you're gonna get called out, and you're gonna have a bad time. Studios and everyone will jump all over your shit and call you out you'll be sad because you suck yeah i just i mean treating people with with some dignity you know like i just i can't imagine being in the room at the desk where they decided to make this call like i hope to god somebody whether it was dan or somebody else on that team said this is wrong we can't do this you know like the idea that they ran the company so close to being out of money that they just had to abruptly pull the plug on everything like quite literally like just like took everybody's computers away to be like oh well you know what yesterday we ran out of money we have to liquidate everything including your chair goodbye that's just not how businesses are run you know like the idea that that's what happened i was just like how i hope somebody on the inside was like this is fucked up this is really fucked up. I guarantee Jason Trier is out there somewhere. He's sniffing yeah, around. <laughs> sniffing yeah, around. the story. story. I hope I, so. It's just bad business. So, I mean, obviously, that's like the, the, the least. It's just bad business. Terrible, like, CEO. It's just, and it's such a bullshit story that, oh, my goodness, we ran out of money. Everything. It's just, it all is just so gross. Just awful. Yeah, and I, don't even, me, I don't even. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead, Steimer. No, I was, I was just going to say, like, what bothers me most about telltale in general was that they had an interesting concept and everybody told them exactly what their problems were and yet they never pivoted yeah and then they decided to do this crap yeah and just 
treat everybody like a cog in a machine, which, yes, in some ways we all are. But good Lord, to be reminded of it in such an indignant way is not great. Yeah, no, indeed. And like I, what I was going to say is I don't think like, even if they came forward with what they deem a legitimate reason for why they handled it the way they did, I don't think I would give them a pass. I don't oh, think no. I would be like, oh, well, that makes sense. Now I understand why you did what you did. I would be like, nah, dude, you fucked this up. No. Like, yeah. I, I understand your reason, but you didn't have to do it this way. Right. There's like, business, you you, business there could have been another way. Exactly. <laughs> business decisions are best for the business, but there are humans behind your business and you have to treat them with dignity and respect. And there is a way to deliver these hard messages and giving them 30 minutes and a paper check to GTFO is just like the worst possible thing. Awful. Yeah, uh, we do have one final part of this story. Uh, we have a Dear WGG uh, question. Of course, if you guys are ever interested, what's goodgames.com slash Dear WGG. Uh, Timu Pulkinen. Pulkinen? Pulkinen. I don't know. I don't know Pulkinen. if I said your name right, Timu. I'm sorry. Says, hi, Andrea. Britton Simer. The news about the closing down of Telltale Games has been, a, has been huge, and I would like to know, what were your favorite Telltale game titles, and how do you think the closing down of the studio will affect the market of episodic game series? Before we get to that, I just want to touch on what the episodic game series, because their final game that they were working on, well, I guess technically Minecraft will be their final game. The final the game they finished will be Minecraft. Yeah, the final season has been pulled off of shelves because, of course, the second episode of that just came out this week, weirdly. Um, And uh, they said, quote, we're currently still working to find a way to hand off production of episodes three and four so that the season can be completed. The outcome of those efforts will determine when and how the final season returns to stores. We hope to have a firm announcement for the end of the week. For now, we apologize for any inconvenience. And they uh, gave that notification to polygon because there was a lot of confusion about the fi- the walking dead it's like it's not getting finished they're trying to get it finished same with stranger things is netflix shopping it is it dead in the water we don't have the answers for those questions yet but, um, but I, thank you I, there was your- a lot of i want to talk about the reaction to this because i found that very interesting so telltale not fires everybody it's like peace out we have no money but then it's like BT dubs were hopefully going to finish The Walking Dead somehow, getting money from somewhere. And at first, I think people were like, oh, my God, yeah, I get my thing that I paid for. But what I liked is how then developers came out or like, this is kind of crap. Like you can't you didn't pay, treat any of the people who originally worked on this well. And now you're trying to get yourself some money to hand it off to somebody else to somehow finish this. Like what a what a slap in the face for anybody who has poured their heart out into this series to be like you don't get to finish it, but we're gonna try and shop it around and let somebody else do it. Um, Why didn't you shop it around before you ran out of money? Yes. Have you heard of crowdfunding, ladies and gentlemen? It's a thing that sometimes works miracles. This is this is the example that Greg and I were talking about on Games Daily earlier this week, and I didn't go as much into detail there, but Double Fine came back from the dead because of Kickstarter. Yes. Like they were on the ropes. This like historic studio has done that's done so much for video games, particularly in the adventure genre, like was was almost in this position. Like I hope to God that the wonderful person that is Tim Schafer would never have treated his employees like like the Delta employees got treated. I have to believe that he wouldn't knowing him. He is a great person. 
But they were in a really tough spot financially a few years back, not even that long ago. And so they went to Kickstarter and said, hey, if you guys like what we do, we need your help. And the community said, we love you. We'll help you. And then they gave them like $3 million. And then they were like, holy shit. This is a yeah. Thank God. Yeah. Like we were we were the hedge funders. Is that what it's called? I don't know. <laughs> no, angel investors. I don't know. I'm not I'm not very up to date on these terms, but yeah, we give you uh, money. Yes, we give you money. It's not quite the right term, but it's OK. We can use it anyway. It's close enough. I'm going to call it angel investor swooping on. Yeah, I'm with you, Brett. The there, there was options. There was there was definitely things that they could have done instead this is clearly a decision their board of directors made um and it was it was just the it's just the wrong call it was just they just fucked it up everything about this is fucked up (laughs) up ways sideways left ways right ways upside down ways just bad news just just bad um so i do want to end um this oh timu's question we have to answer Timu's question no 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 that was what i was gonna say i want to end this segment of this section of the news on a high note by talking about our favorite telltale titles um and that way we can kind of remember why telltale was important also i want to let you guys know uh ryan mccaffrey over at ign uh wrote a great story about telltale's impact on video game development and if you're interested you can check it out over on their site. Um, it's it's a really great article talking about the importance of what they did and how it had ripple effects in game development. But um, Britt, do you have a favorite Telltale game? I think the one I enjoyed the most was The Wolf Among Us. Um, also, The Walking Dead Season 1 had a, was huge for me. I had never played a game like that. I love The Walking Dead. I love zombies, obviously. And that final decision you make at Season 1 was so profound. And it's just one of those first holy shit moments um ah it just makes yeah, me so sad to talk about it yeah literally uh, that's why like so i i juxtaposition like season one of walking dead with tales from the borderlands because tales from the borderlands is so nice and fun and like they did really cute things with the way uh with gameplay in that uh game there you go <laughs> i don't like saying words like that but anyways um so yeah like those are two of my favorites i also really did love wolf among us and i'm bummed that i won't see that ever again but at the same time, it has kind of been a while. I was kind of... <laughs> it's been a while. It's just been a while. Uh, oh, shit. Well, now that's... Yep. Okay. Cool. I'm done. That, those were, those <laughs> were it. Sorry. I totally sidetracked you. Okay. <laughs> Andrea, what um, were yours? Um, I'm with uh, I'm with you, Britt. Uh, the Wolf Among Us was one of my favorites, but The Walking Dead Season 1 was probably my most favorite. I also really enjoyed Game of Thrones and Tales from the Borderlands, but I just... Uh, I think what was great about The Walking Dead season one is that it really put Telltale on the map. You know, this was a studio that was kind of just puttering along, doing really neat things with narrative, with games like Back to the Future and and Jurassic Park. And obviously, like, what was that? Serious Sam back in the day and uh, a a variety of other stuff. Sam and Max. That's what I'm thinking of. Uh, Serious Sam, different franchise. Yeah, I was like, I don't think that's it. <laughs> um, and you know, I I I remember early in my career in the video game business, going to CES of all places and going to a suite meeting where we were looking at like just you know, barely anything for concept art for what The Wolf Among Us was going to be and seeing rough sketches of of The Walking Dead and 
and really not even understanding like what the concepts of these games were going to be and and seeing how far they came from there and obviously like there will be plenty of postmortems happening about what Telltale did wrong as a studio uh, from a production standpoint and of course they made some mistakes we have talked about some of those mistakes on this show but what they did overall i think was really profound and really neat and i think that it helped pave the way for games like life is strange a game that we really love on this show and other narrative games and really kind of helped renewed a a sense of adventure and games in the adventure genre i mean they've always been there obviously but I mean, I think The Walking Dead really put them back on the map in a big way. And that was really exciting that that genre that really, you know, kind of had this genesis back in the PC era kind of had this resurgence with a whole new generation of gamers. And I think that there's a lot to be said for the impact that Telltale had on that on that um, comeback. So absolutely. I did, some of my this, favorites. this news, though, like did make me a bit nervous for developers like uh, those like don't nod and people behind episodic games me just wondering then is this just the way is this just the nature of them and are those teams suffering too like how like or are they more well managed was it just really bad management at telltale that made making these uh, episodic games so hellish i don't know uh but because he asked how this would affect the market of episodic games and i mean i, I guess it, we'll see on whether or not it um has any impact on them whatsoever but i think that that's always up to this individual studio how they treat their employees and also just what their rois are like what their run costs are versus what those episodes are making for me i i had the telltale fatigue where i felt like every game was just more or less the same i mean it played the same you got a different story and plus the engine was just so gnarly and it just ugh, i didn't have much desire to hop into these series like the game of thrones and the borderlands one i was like whatever but i think with developers like don't nod you know you see what they did with life is strange and you see how life is strange too i just finished the first one how they're doing things different enough where it doesn't feel like that burnout has even a chance to exist so i think again like you said it just depends on the management and the innovation of the studio well and that project is being funded by square enix a massive company Mm -hmm. that has resources, right? And has shown over decades that they know how to run a business. <laughs> um, I mean, sometimes they make weird decisions, like not release games for 10 years like Final Fantasy, but you know that, you know, that's okay. Um, it's not but, okay. Um, <laughs> I think that uh, that gives me confidence that as long as there's, you know, a major publisher on board to help kind of cushion any kind of financial blow that a, a, a title might uh, undergo that you know hopefully we don't see something like this happen again where a g- episodic game is canceled mid release because yeah. video games like g- games get canceled all the time you know we have reported on several that i've gotten canceled this year but getting reported when they're or getting canceled when two of the four episodes haven't been released is ca- like that's a head scratcher so yeah. hopefully you really you fucked up your books real bad on that one Oh, no kidding. Especially because, those like, people who have season passes. I'm sure they're not getting their money back, but still, it's... I, I, I just they can't... Like, they had such big... The thing that, that blows my mind is the fact that they had such big partners. They have AMC's Walking Dead. They had Guardians of the Galaxy. They had Game of Thrones. They had people with money on board. So either they just, like, 
super undercut themselves, which would be real dumb, but maybe they did. Um, and they were just like super like, no, we only need this much, even though they really needed yay more. Uh, I'm so, I'm so eloquent today. Don't you like my business numbers? We're all in our game. We're all in our <laughs> like, game today. You needed this instead of this. Uh, I used my fingers to youtube.com slash what's good games yeah <laughs> anyways i know what you're trying to say steimer and it's an interesting concept the idea of how those negotiations for their licenses went because on one hand you would think if you're doing a negotiation with someone like netflix for stranger things which clearly had a runaway success of its of its first two seasons that they would say um we have all this money but i having worked with brands and licenses before a lot of these brands say you have to pay for the privilege of working with our brand. You know, like the idea that, you know, the barrier to entry to make a game about this specific license might end up costing a studio more than they would actually make from the project. Um, then at, why at would the start you keep the doing it? That's the question, <laughs> right? Well, this is this is the thing, right? Management. Wasn't there a studio recently that talked about licensed games was it platinum maybe or somebody that said that they can't afford to do licensed games anymore and so they just stopped making it and are focusing on original ip Let hey me i mean yeah in that sense i mean it makes sense in certain uh realms i just thought like they were doing it so frequently it gave an impression that they would be receiving yeah. a monetary benefit from doing these it's just and so crazy. I remember whenever Telltale would get a new license, everyone would lose their shit. Oh my god, they're tackling this. They nailed Walking Dead. This is what they're doing. Everyone was so excited. And to see it crash so hard, it's just... What the hell was that, Steimer? Oh, it's a, it's Amazon. Oh, YouTube.com slash What's Good Games. Steimer oh. just got freaked out by Amazon. Well, hold on. <laughs> oh, off she goes. Steimer is now retrieving her package because you see, ladies and gentlemen, Steimer lives in an apartment complex and people are package snatchers. Don't be a package snatcher. Don't Suck steal it. other people's shit. No, they paid for that. Did you pay for that? Did you flip burgers for eight hours to, to earn that hair dryer off of Amazon? I don't think so. Nope. See? Oh my gosh. My fucking ad blocker is fucking me up. You didn't work Okay, right. so it was Platinum. It says Platinum Games wants to publish its own new IP. Mm. I would like to say, um, never in my life have I had someone insist on being like, that package is for you. Me being like, yes, you could have just left it outside of my door, but okay. I want someone to teach a course on development licenses cycle, like all of the things. Cause I feel like when we have these stories, we can only talk so much about it, but we don't actually know how the industry works in and out. I would be so fascinated to learn that stuff. If there are any good resources, let us know. I'd love I to I bet read. you there's at least one talk from in the GDC vault about this. Cool. Um, if some enterprising young individual wants to look, but, um, we do want to put a pin in this conversation because we have been talking about it at length and there is some other news stories that we want to get to. I want to transition into a fantastic story, a feel-good story, something that will hopefully lift us up out of this like cranky, terrible spot we've just been in for the last 40-ish minutes. Um, Glad has added outstanding video game category to its media awards. So this write-up comes from GameIndustry.biz, the LGBTQ advocacy group. GLAD has announced that it will add an outstanding video game award to its 30th annual GLAD Media Awards later this year. This will be the first time the organization has recognized video games in its award. The Outstanding Video Game Award will be presented to a game with outstanding LGBTQ inclusive content and can be accepted either by a developer or publisher. That content includes authentic and impactful LGBTQ characters or storylines. And the judges will also consider how much of that content is a seamless 
seamless or prominent part of the gameplay and world. To be eligible, the game must either have been released in 2018 or had a substantial content update during the year with the considered representation included in that content. Major console platforms, PC browser, browser and mobile games all qualify. Nominees will be announced in January with the awards taking place on April 12th, 2019. Cool. Woo woo. Yeah. This Not too much to talk about there. Just it's awesome that um, they're recognizing video games as an art form and recognizing that um, LGBTQ representation is something that is becoming more prevalent in video games. And I think it will be good to highlight the developers who are working on that kind of content. So I just wanted to say that's cool. Um, next, uh, this is an interesting story. No. So you guys may have heard about the fantastic feature of Nintendo online service when we talked about when they launched that you can keep your cloud saves if you pay for Nintendo's $20 a year fee. But they announced that if you let your subscription expire, poof, your cloud saves are gone. And thus the internet became enraged and very upset. And then they were forced to clarify their position. Um, this story comes from Eurogamer. One of the more vexing revelations to emerge concerning Nintendo's new paid online service prior to its launch on Switch last week was that cloud saves would seemingly be deleted immediately on a user's subscription lapsing. Nintendo has now clarified this is not the case. News of Nintendo's apparently draconian cloud save policy came via the company's official UK website, where an FAQ on the new online service stated, quote, save data stored with save data cloud cannot be kept outside of the direct of your Nintendo Switch online membership. Understandably, some fans weren't pleased. Not only had Nintendo elected to place the only means of backing up Switch saves behind a paywall, those precarious backups would seemingly be automatically deleted upon the expiration of Nintendo online account. By the way of comparison, PlayStation Plus cloud saves are stored for six months once the subscription lapses before removal, and Xbox One subscription-free cloud saves are retained indefinitely. The company has finally confirmed in a statement provided to IGN that, as is the case with PlayStation Plus, if a Nintendo Switch online membership expires, users won't be able to access their cloud save data backups. However, Nintendo will allow users who resubscribe within 180 days to access their previous save data cloud backups. Guarantee you, Nintendo did not even know what their own policy was when they published that shit. It wasn't until the internet went to store and they're like, oh, goodness, what are we going to do? Oh, I don't know. What's PlayStation doing? Let's just copy them. I love Nintendo. I love them a lot. I mean, they may have had this, but just didn't think to message it. But how could you're, you're Nintendo? This is like you you're in the video game okay. industry. You know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> <laughs> What? Stiver. <laughs> okay. Okay. No, okay, listen. All I'm saying is that you can't tell me no one at Nintendo knew that by not clarifying this, this is what people were gonna take and run with it. And of course people are gonna ask questions because their save system is so freaking wonky. Your save files, ladies and gentlemen, it saves to the hardware itself. There's no way to say to transfer your save files. You have to literally opt in to Nintendo Online, which I admit it's cheap, twenty dollars. That's not bad. You get a lot of bang for your buck. But it's the principle that in order to have your save data saved in the cloud, you have to opt into this. There's no place to use a USB. There's no SD card. You literally can't do anything with your save data. You but can't do this. move your save files to the to the card that you put into your Switch? No, the save files are all saved to the, the Switch natively. Wait, seriously? That's not an option to move the files? No, no. That's outrageous. I know. 
<laughs> I didn't know that. Yes, girl. Yes. I thought that you could move your files like you move the game say like the game the game data, right? Like you like install games on the card. You can choose when you download it where you're installing it. You can't choose to move your save data to the memory card. No. Oh. oh my god, Nintendo! Seriously, no. It's saved. To the tra la 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 la, tra la 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 la. So that's why that's why cloud saves are such a big deal. So you know it is what it is. Not only that, not all games support cloud saves. So like, there's literally no way to back up your shit. Games like Pokemon Let's Go, Splatoon, Dark Souls. Now Nintendo has issued a statement. Yeah, we've got a dear WGT about that. You want to read it? I. I would love to. Hold on. Let me stop breathing fire out of my face. Okay. This comes from (laughs) Andrew Wimpy. Some people discovered on Reset Era that some Switch games, mainly multiplayer games like Splatoon 2, won't support cloud saves when Nintendo Switch Online service launches. In Nintendo's statement to Kotaku, most Switch games will support them, but others won't to prevent cheating in online games. Is this a big deal? Especially since there's currently no other way to back up save data on the Switch. And does this shake your faith in Nintendo's online service for the Switch? So that would imply is... that we had faith in it to begin with. Word, Steimer. <laughs> no, you're, you're totally right. So I had a quote, but now I can't find it, from, from Nintendo talking about why... So basically, their, their worry about the online cheating is that if you save your data locally or whatever, you could do something in the cloud, save it in the cloud, and then delete your cloud data... And then manipulate your items that you have. So basically manipulate your different saves, your cloud saves and your local saves in order to maybe get items back that you had traded or something along those lines. How do you think literally everybody else does this? Thank you. And that's that's what I'm saying. It's it's not it's a big deal because, like I said, Nintendo tries to reinvent the wheel. There are online games and online shit in general is not new. People have gone through the trials and tribulations of figuring this shit out. Why don't you just learn from them? Why are you making an online app to go with your online service? Like, I mean, why? they seem to be pretty chummy with Ubisoft these days, you know? Miyamoto-san has appeared at the Ubisoft press conference the last two years. Why don't they just call their friends at Ubisoft up and say, hey, can you help. Have, can you show us how to do cloud saves? <laughs> can you show us how to do a lot of things? But mostly, yeah, just online service. It's... Again, it's just that thing that I, I'm very passionate. I love Nintendo very much, but hot diggity damn. And can we talk about those $60 NES Joy-Cons? Can we just talk about those for a second? Now, great, sure. I get it. You don't want them. You don't have to buy them. Totally optional. Oh, but how of are course you, you want them. How, I, oh, yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm totally going to buy them too, but I hate, I hate it because I'm going to buy them. But I'm still going to bitch about no, it. Just so people are aware, you're talking about the wireless NES uh, replica controllers uh-huh that's exactly that slide onto the switch okay right so yeah so these okay in order to even purchase these nes joy cons for your switch you have to opt into their nintendo online system and the reason for that is because those controllers only work with their nes titles now they're cute and i understand they're functional and it's adorable and nostalgic however they're sixty dollars so you're saying you want people to spend $60 on a controller that they can only use with a select amount of NES games. And when the regular oh, $20 and they're, and they're going to sell out too. They yeah. have sold out, haven't they? Oh, I don't know. I know that they're not shipping until December. I, I was on the cruise when all this broke and I missed my opportunities of life. Let me look. Anyway, I mean, you probably should be grateful for that one in particular. 
I know I'm complaining. I'm going to buy these if I can. But it's just, it's just. Why don't you just get like cute skinned Joy-Cons? They're actually more expensive than these. Because they're not, they're not like the NES controllers with little buttons that are going to break your hand. I was about to say, but your poor hands. Oh, I know. You already got raptor claws after using the Joy-Cons. When these came out in the, in the direct, I tweeted a photo of them. And somebody in my Twitter feed was like, those look so uncomfortable. And I was like, dog, that's all we had back in the day. Oh, yeah. We didn't have great. <laughs> are they the same curvature? No, I don't think so. They're just- no, they they look exactly identical to the the original NES controller, that, that rectangular box. Mm-hmm, you know, the mm-hmm. gray and black and red design with the red buttons, the two buttons and the D-pad. Yeah, for some reason, I thought these were smaller, though. That's all I'm saying. Smaller. I think they're the same size. Oh, maybe they are. I haven't oh. really looked into it. But cool. Anyway. Yeah, I haven't looked into it either. It's fine. Because I will, I will not, in, in my on-brand fashion, will not be buying them. But yeah. I have been very tempted to buy skinned that look like SNES Joy-Cons. Because they're yeah, are so pretty. But they're so expensive. They are. The, the Super NES Joy-Cons? Yeah. Because they're are not officially the Nintendo. Etsy? What? You're talking about the custom ones on Etsy? Yes. Yeah, they're like 130 bucks, aren't yes, they? Yes, they are insanely expensive, which is well, why I have not purchased them. somebody's hand-painted them. That's but I want them. I want them very much. <laughs> well, it's because the Joy-Cons themselves are so expensive. 80 bucks? Yeah. For the Joy-Cons? Oh, yeah. You lose one of those bitches, guess what? You gotta buy two more of those bitches. Yeah, because you can't buy a single Joy-Con. Gotta no, buy them you can't buy a single bitch. You could only you buy a double bitch. You gotta buy your bitches in pairs with Nintendo. You get two bitches or nothing. Um, <laughs> so this is not surprising, no, um, but not a little disappointing. At least the barrier to entry isn't high. It still sucks that there's a barrier to entry that in order to get cloud, in order to sa- to protect your save data, that you have to pay to do online cloud saves, like. The idea that you can't buy a memory card and put it into your Switch and then move your da- your save data to the memory card is fucking no. outrageous. You can just transfer like, your save data. How is that not a thing? Uh, they, they've got to make that a thing. they got to fix Nintendo, you got to fix it. I love you, Nintendo. We all love you. They have Please. a USB slot on the back. I don't know why you just can't make that compatible with, you know, putting your shit Slide on your Slide on into that USB port. I mean, you yeah, can't transfer baby. your save data, but only one way. And then other, but yeah, you can't back your shit up back it up you can't why Why? because you might cheat and that would be the worst thing that would ever possibly happen who's fucking cheating at splatoon can i I meet these people (laughs) (laughs) can i let's talk about this for a second they're still bumbling around this online world it's okay Nintendo. Um, i got your back Okay, let's see here. One final story. We'll try to make it a quick one. Oculus Connect is happening here Connect in the five. Bay Area. Um, <laughs> if you guys are interested in virtual reality, uh, they announced Oculus Quest, a standalone virtual reality headset that's launching in the spring of 2019. I've got a write-up from TheVerge.com. It'll be $399, and Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg says that with Oculus Quest, we will complete our first generation of Oculus products that it combines key attributes of the ideal VR system, a wireless design, virtual hand controllers, and full positional tracking. If we can bring these three qualities together in one product, we think that will be the foundation of a new generation of VR. He, of course, famously said that he wanted one billion people in virtual reality, which is 
One billion. Sorry, I had to. He just wants us all living in the Ready Player One universe. Mm. No, Um, thank you. That seems fucking miserable. (laughs) Right? The Oculus Quest is a consumer version of what was previously known as Project Santa Cruz. It uses motion controllers similar to the Oculus Touch, has four wide-angle cameras to provide positional tracking that lets people walk through virtual space. It's supposed to support Rift quality experiences with a starting catalog of over 50 titles including well-known existing games like climbing simulator the climb and adventure puzzle game moss which is a game that we all love very much um oculus vr head hugo barra describes the oculus quest as quote made for games distinguishing it from oculus's other more video focused mobile headset oculus go we are going to invest significantly in this new platform barrow said Bara, Bara. Um, just so you guys know, I'm not going to go through all of the specs, but it is supposed to be a bridge between the more mobile focus Oculus Go and, of course, their traditional Oculus Rift headset, which is tethered to your PC. So I was looking around since this just got announced uh, to see if any of these tech sites had hands-on impressions, and I haven't seen any yet, but that's because Oculus Connect is happening right now. I'm hoping that by the end of the conference that we'll get some details on how this thing runs um, because obviously Oculus can say whatever they want about their product, but we got yeah. to see if it's got the goods because I am personally excited and interested by wireless VR because that to me is the real drawback right now for why i don't play with my psvr and my oculus rift is in the closet because i'm just like having to set it all up and tear it all down because it takes so much space on my desk i'm just like i can't do it but if i could have like a a nifty little case and all i had to do was put it on and sit in any chair in my house now we're talking yep that's what i'm all excited built-in audio wireless that is what i want um Talking about the graphics, because I also was trying to look up to see if anyone had any hands-on impressions. I'm not going to know what any of this means. It's a short paragraph, but... Oculus told Gizmodo that the Quest will have a Qualcomm Snapdragon 835 processor. That's more powerful than the 821 found in the Go, and the same processor found in the Lenovo and Google's Daydream headset, as well as smartphones like the Samsung S8. Traditionally, it is not as capable of 3D rendering as the CPUs and GPUs found in the PCs that power the Oculus Rift. Well, so yeah, I don't, duh. You're, right. Well, because people were taking that quote that it's going to deliver Rift-like experiences and said, oh, it's going to be as powerful as the Rift. And it's like, uh, no, dog, it's not. No, not when it's sitting on your head. Right. I think that someone in the comments was speaking far too intelligently for me, but they were saying that this is about the equivalent as a low-end requirement for Oculus, for Rift on a PC. That makes sense. Yeah. So, like, minimum requirements will be the maximum settings on this thing. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, I think that that works for a lot of uh, specific types of experiences in VR. Um, but obviously, some of the more um, graphic heavy ones won't be able to run. It'll be interesting to see where the line is drawn. Right. It's just one step forward, ladies and gentlemen. Pretty soon, this all be wireless. It'll be epic. It'll be beautiful HD. And I will off. still not care about it. Ah, <laughs> uh, Steimer. Bring in the salt as per usual. It's not salt. It's just I know what I want and what I don't. 
I'm not going to argue nothing, with that. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, and on that note, we're going to take our first break of the show. Oh, my gosh. Look at the time. Uh, you guys get up, go to the bathroom, pull over to the side of the road, wipe your brow, whatever you need to do. I thought you were going to say wipe your butt. I also yeah, thought that. I was like, what is happening in this car? <laughs> You're sweating. Are you okay? You know? It's been an exciting first segment. You need to like dab your brow. Oh, my gosh. Did you really think I was going to say wipe your butt? I really did. Oh, yeah. I don't know why, yeah. but that's exactly where my head went. <laughs> yeah, that's where exactly my head went, too. Why your heads went there. I know you, too. All right, everybody. We'll be right back. Everybody, this is segment two of the What's Good Games podcast, where we talk about what we've been playing. And this week, it's brought to you by Stitch Fix. So you guys probably have heard me talk about Stitch Fix on this show and on Games Daily. I have been a fan of Stitch Fix for a while. Steimer, you've used Stitch Fix in the past as well, right? No, this or is this is your first time? This is the first time. It. Yeah, I was like, wait, what? <gasps> oh my happened? gosh, you're new to Stitch Fix. Well, I'm super excited for you guys to be like Stimer and try them out. So if you haven't heard, they are an online personal styling service that finds and delivers clothes, shoes, and accessories to fit your body, budget, and your lifestyle. Signing up, of course, is super easy. You just go to stitchfix.com slash what's good to tell them your sizes, what styles you like, and how much you want to spend on each item. You're going to be paired with your very own personal stylist who will handpick five items and send them right to your door when they arrive then the fun part happens you try them on of course you'll pay for only what you love and return the rest for free and let me say that again shipping exchanges and returns are always free Brittany, oh. you've kept a couple of your recent pieces from stitch fix i did and i got a new one in yesterday and there are these really cute leggings in there and then a really cute shirt that i if i had seen on at a store i would have walked right past it but because it was sent to me, I tried it on and I was like, oh, my God, this is really effing cute. And like I was telling Steimer a couple weeks ago, my closet is nothing but video game tank tops and shirts and jeans. And I admittedly I've seen it. I can attest. That's all it is. A big old room of nothing but t- video game shirts. So I, I appreciate fashion, but I admittedly just don't have the patience or the time to try to learn. Like what what's a hip? What, what are the cool kids wearing these days? And Stitch Fix literally takes care of it for me. And I'm like, oh, I look like I'm with the times now. I really appreciate it. I can't wait and for like new fashion forward, Brittany. I know. <laughs> Same. You did look super cute at RTX and all of your dresses. I loved it. Yeah, you did. Um, and if you guys are interested in Stitch Fix, this has you excited. Like Brittany is excited. There's no subscription required and you can sign up to receive your scheduled shipments or get your fix whenever you want. That's the way I do it. Uh, sometimes I'll get a couple fixes in one month. Sometimes I'll skip a month. But you can also do regular shipments if you want. Uh, and of course, the Stitch Fix styling fee is only $20, which is applied towards anything that you keep from your shipment, which is the best part. And because you're fans of What's Good Games, we've got an awesome offer for you. If you had to stitchfix.com that's s-t-i-t-c-h-f-i-x.com slash what's good you'll get an extra 25% off when you keep all five items in your box that's right stitchfix.com slash what's good to get an extra 25% off and it'll help you get started today they also have a fantastic app make sure you sign up using our promo code stitchfix.com slash what's good I am definitely going to be wearing my new Stitch Fit sneakers. I'll post a photo on on Instagram. You guys can see them. They're super cute. I love shoes. Me too. 
Um, I know you Steimer. do. Girl, I've seen your closet. <laughs> Wait, my closet? Yeah. Yeah, I have a lot of shoes. Yeah. Still not as many shoes as my husband, though. He yeah. has a real shoe problem. That's crazy. Um, I know. His shoe problem was so crazy that he had to start keeping his shoes at his office so I wouldn't see how many he had bought. <laughs> This is a true story. That and his coworkers so will back me up. That's adorable. When you walk into John's office at PlayStation, there's a whole wall of just sneakers. Oh my <laughs> Amazing. God. There was one time when I went with him to the office to pick up some stuff that he was going to give away on the free table. And I was like, no, let me take it and I'll give it away to, to what's good people. And so I went with him to his office and I walked into his, walked in, I was like, holy shit there are so many shoes here and he was like what and i was like where did all these shoes come from <laughs> wait could you like build a box fort with it that amount of shoes uh, we're talking like at least 40 pairs holy Oof. fuck in his sneakers. office let's just not it's not even in your house that's the office so yeah well he's got like a shoe rack for them so they're not in the boxes like they're they're all uh, like displayed on a rack so whenever people come in they can see his like fly ass sneaker collection oh my god that's okay, actually so, really funny so does he wear like slippers to work and then he puts the shoes on there or does he have like a burner pair of shoes that he wears to and from he's got some slip-on sneakers um some like casual sneaks mm-hmm. that he wears on the weekends and stuff okay. and sometimes he does change his shoes when he gets to the office depending on what meetings he has that day <laughs> i love it i love john drake <laughs> i know he's the best um let's get into what we've been talking about or what we've been playing this weekend steimer you finally finished tomb raider yes i did did you enjoy your time with it i appreciated that it was not a massive game it was just the right size for me which uh is okay yes i knew i know this pillow is coming yeah <laughs> 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 oh yeah mine's over here i gotta get it out just in case <laughs> but yeah no i mean i think if i think if you were not a fan of the other tomb raiders this will by no means change your mind i think that's a fairly sure. standard statement across the board from everybody so far it is more tomb raider um i wasn't super like won over by the quote-unquote new things that they'd added like adding mud to you i think you look cool you look fucking rad covered in mud <laughs> stabbing dudes great love it um but in terms of gameplay i didn't think it added that much uh and ah, i thought the story was well paced it was actually interesting i really liked laura's arc uh for once which is nice (laughs) and i think it it ended on a nice note i really i was pleased with it i think if you've played either of the other two and you've enjoyed them at all you should absolutely get this and see it through i agree i thought it was really fun and if there wasn't so much happening or if i'd come out at a different time of the year i probably would revisit it and maybe consider doing new game plus because i really had a lot of fun playing it and like you said it was it felt like it was just the right length of time for to play you know like a like a solid like 20 to 25 hours depending on how much of the side content that you did and i finished the game at 75 percent completion but i know you can finish it with a little bit less i think i was around Um, so i know 60 ish 60 ish that yeah. sounds about right yeah because there was a couple areas particularly in like um uh the first the name of the first city which i can't remember cozumel Karak. no i'm not mm, you're no, in mexico mm. the first time no 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 no. the first little open world area oh, oh. oh my gosh i can yeah, know right. people are listening to me going oh my god andrea it's just this um kawakiaku 
That's what it is. Why um, wouldn't you that- remember that name? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Right? It's weird. Um, there was a lot that I didn't do that I didn't do there because I just like went to, went through that one pyramid thing and then I kept going. Um, but I, re- I really enjoyed it too. Did you guys see the news about the alternate ending that was accidentally included in the game that they I, patched out with the day one patch? I did no. read about it because I saw um, the headline. I hadn't finished the game yet and went nope and like immediately scrolled past. I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> and then once I beat the game, I was like, okay, now I need to go find and figure out what it was that was patched out of this yeah so it technically wasn't an alternate ending for the game it was an alternate scene that is the post credit scene um so the one that's in the game is really kind of kind of sweet and it kind of puts a nice little button on the trilogy um and gives a couple of nods to the original franchise like the one from the 90s but the alternate ending that was discovered because some people um on reset era i think it was or maybe it was um reddit discovered it because they never patched their game because where they live on this island they have really bad internet and so they just played the game without patching it and when they got all the way to the end of the credits they found the scene (laughs) that wasn't supposed to be there where there's a letter from a character that's apparently um a villain in the original series that would maybe set up some things to happen in the next game. And that's all I'll say about it in case you want to hunt it down to find the actual details you can. But um, it's interesting that they patched it out. So that either means that they are not going in that direction uh, with the future of the Tomb Raider franchise or they didn't want to give that much away. We'll Hmm. never know. Or they're like, we need a little breather here. Well, they definitely need a breather, right? And I think the sales of this game are probably going to indicate that they need a breather. Not that the game isn't good, like no, as we said. Is, yeah. You know, and a, a big thank you to Square Enix for sending us promotional copies of the game for us to play. But um, it, it's just so crowded right now with so many games that it's it's a tough landscape. And I totally forgot that Assassin's Creed was happening so close to the launch of that game. Um, not that they're like in any way, shape, or form the same thing. I think someone on Twitter was like, oh, do you think Cassandra is better than Lara? And I was like, why? They're, they're just they're just different. They're just different characters. And I didn't yeah, say what? Like, you don't have to be like, is one better than the other? Can't you just like both? Por no los dos? It's like <laughs> exactly. someone once asked me, what's better, Call of Duty or Zelda? And I was like, are you serious? Those aren't even what? You can't, you can't do That's that. That's a kumquat and a banana. What a are you talking plot. about? I just Man. randomly thought of words and put them outside <laughs> of my body in the form of my mouth. Oh my from God, my I mouth. You. I don't I know what's you. happening. My brain keep, is keep complete it going, garbage. Cyber. Keep it going. You're on a roll, <laughs> baby girl. <laughs> <sighs> I'm excited yeah. to start Tomb Raider. I'm still working on Spider-Man, but uh, I kind of had to set that down because I got Assassin's Creed and then I also got Life is Strange 2. And I, 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 I am swimming in review codes. It's a good problem to have, but it's hard to prioritize. Like, what do I want to play first? Well, it's I would the assume Life is Strange because it's short. Shorter, yeah. I should say, than the other games. Yeah, yes. so speaking of Life is Strange, Brittany, um, oh. Life is Strange 2, episode 1, launched this week. Um, of course, we partnered with Square Enix at PAX West to throw the Life is Strange 2 What's Good Game fan meetup. Thank you to them for you know, working with us to sponsor that event. And thank you to Square Enix for providing us promotional copies of Life is Strange 2 Episode 1. I 
am saving this. Now, I'm saving it because I was torn about talking about it on the show this week. So I'm glad that at least one of us played it because part of me is like, how do I talk about this without without just spoiling it out, out, out the gate? Yeah, it's um, hard. And Please I, don't. And I don't know if I would be able to, so I'm going to make you do it instead. Thanks. <laughs> I got just you. Just give it a thumbs up or a medium or a down i can i can say a few things without spoiling okay. this okay so, cool. uh, okay so obviously what we already know about life is strange too is it follows two brothers on their quest to go to a new location because some shit has gone down and they need to flee the area you have the older brother the younger brother you have uh sean older brother daniel younger brother and it plays like a life is strange game i would say so far i've noticed that there's more openness to it it runs better it looks better which is to be expected hell yeah uh, runs hell, better that's that's great news yeah um i wasn't sure how it would resonate with me because obviously in the first life is strange you have chloe and max and you know they're teenage girls and they're in high school and every well most everyone's gone through high school so you can kind of understand what they're going through but what daniel and sean are going through is so out there that i mean it's out there for me i'm sure some people can relate to certain experiences that they have and also, there's a lot of trees in this game because it literally takes place in, like, my backyard. And I'm like, this is... How am I going to enjoy this game? Dude, I hate trees. You're like, I hate the trees. I hate the trees. Burn all no, the no. trees down. But, um, no, I I really enjoyed the, the first episode. I I mean, it, it's a good it's a good package, a good overall introduction to, I think, the following episodes we're going to get. There were some, oh, shit moments, which would be expected. And it's just... Whenever you play a Life is Strange game, you just expect everything to go wrong. And I found myself really, really protective over Daniel, the little brother. You know, he'd be like, I'm going to go run over here by the river. And I was chasing after him as a child. Terrible child. No, child, you're not. You know, just always keeping an eye on him. So, so far, they've done a really great job at building that that, um, connection between the brothers where you do feel very responsible. And like the developers have said, it is your duty to shape Daniel into what kind of you're basically parenting him. Right. So, gosh, that's such a like. It is so much really, responsibility. It's I've, like in The Witcher with Siri. If you fuck it up, <laughs> I fucked that up so bad. That was I'll never forget. That was traumatic. Anyway, I found myself really, you know, taking that parental role. And I'm not a parent, but I felt like okay, you can slide with this. But for this, I'm going to call you out on your bullshit. And it was really interesting how into it I really was. But yeah, I think you guys will really like it. You recommend it? Yeah, I'm looking That's all forward I can say to it without spoiling it. Yeah, I'm really, I'm really looking forward to it as well. Being on the panel with Christian Devine, the lead writer, uh, you know, who's working with Don't Nod on this series, who also has worked on all of the <coughs> Life is Strange games, was really fascinating um, because he is clearly, I think, a little nervous about how people are going to react to these characters because the Life is Strange community gravitated so quickly. And uh, so heavily towards Chloe and Max as, as characters in the original Life is Strange. And he was saying, you know, I just I hope that you trust that we're doing the right thing, that we're giving you amazing characters and amazing storylines, because if you trusted us with the first game, you know, please just trust us with this one and, and go on this journey and you and we won't let you down. And I thought that that was, um, you know, like a really heartfelt thing for him to say and really him showing some vulnerability to say, you know, you know, we are, we are worried that people aren't going to understand or like these characters and we put a lot of work into them and we hope that you really love them. So have you 
Have you, you know, kind of formed a premature or uh, initial, I should say, maybe uh, attachment to these characters yet, Britt? Do you think that you're going to that you're going to be interested in, in seeing where they go? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm definitely interested to see where they're going. Um, you know, like I said earlier, because they're not teenage girls, there isn't that super intimate level of connection that I immediately felt with Max when I played. But and the way Daniel and Sean live their life is vastly different than any way I ever lived my life. But I'm still and so I can hear myself talking. It's throwing me out, throwing me off a little bit, but it's fine. Long story short. Yes, very interested. I think they've set up a really interesting template for where this could go. And uh, I, like I said, I'm already protective over Daniel, that little shit. Better not <laughs> play anymore, Rivers. Yeah, I, I can't say anymore without spoiling it. That's good. Yeah, no, I was always a big fan of the fact that they decided to leave Chloe and Max and that whole mm-hmm. story. And we're like, no, no, new chapter. Because honestly, if they had kept them, I probably wouldn't be that interested in this game. Like, I think that tale was done. You can fatigue out on characters, even if you love them and enjoy them. And so I am very much looking forward to spending time with like these new characters. And they are, like Brittany has said, obviously very different from anything I've ever lived. I've never been a young man, nor will I ever be, especially since I'm old now. But um, <laughs> it's um, you're I'm, not old, I'm curious for the to see the, the dynamic. I'm curious to see whether or not me as salty face McGee will oh <laughs> enjoy the, the younger brother element because an asshole I did. Uh, well, no, I'm nice sometimes asshole it's, brother. It's always de- it depends on my mood. Um, but I, I like, I, I will liken it to how I felt about Atreus in God of war where like at first, there was definitely times I was like, I want to kick you in the head. Like you're just being real annoying. But then there were some times where I was like, Oh, come here. Like, <laughs> Not that mm-hmm. Kratos ever does that, but you know, where I wanted to do head pat. <laughs> where's where's press uh, X to head pat? <laughs> boy, secret dunk, move. Dunk, boy, Atreus is like pounded into the ground because Kratos is so goddamn strong. Uh, but anyway. yeah, so I am I'm interested to see where this tale goes. And I, unlike Brittany, fucking love trees. Trees are great. Can't wait like to see these too. trees. Ten They're out nice of ten. trees. They're, they're great trees. Just, just too, it's fine. It's not trees hindered. give you oxygen to breathe. You should enjoy the trees. I do, but not everywhere. Not in my real life. Not in video games. Not anyway. You should definitely like them in your real life. It's like the I mean, one place where they should be. I do, but there's no escapism because that's what I see every day. I look out like, hello, trees. I'm happy you're part of my real life. I do not need to see them in video games all the time. It's fine. Trees killed Horizon Zero Dawn for me. That's an exaggeration. That was you know there are other. I can't roll my eyes any harder at that. Get out of here! <laughs> Do you know how many trees are in Legend of Zelda? Yeah, and I haven't finished it. <laughs> you never did the Ganon fight? No, just accidentally one time, and then I. Oh yeah, got- I remember we had this conversation yeah, where you're like, yeah. I accidentally started fighting Ganon. And I was like, that's not a thing. Oh that's yeah, that's not a thing that happens. You can't accidentally fight Ganon oh, in yes, that you game. Can. And I did. Like, you very clearly see where the Ganon. Okay, okay, we're not going back into this. <laughs> Exploration I do got the best you, to be that day. I, I do want to ask so you, Brittany. Much. Did you get your headphones fixed? Are they be- are they better? My headphones? You said you were hearing yourself. Oh, yes, oh, it, yes. It's a thing okay, that good. happens on Facebook Messenger to Brittany and I sometimes where it basically yeah. reverbs our voice back into our ears. And so it's essentially a speech jammer. And it's really difficult to talk through. 
but we we try. We do try. We try our best. Sometimes we'll talk like this a little bit, and then it's like, okay, that's what's happening. We're just getting used to the sound of our voice in our ears. It's when you gotcha. when either of us slow down our speech significantly, that is probably what is happening yeah. to us. <laughs> Good to know. Good to know. Um, so there's um, a lot of things that I played at TGS, which we're going to talk about in the final segment of the show. But um, I also... Um, have been playing more Celeste. I am in the home stretch of that game, but I I have to do it in waves now because <laughs> it's so difficult. The final the final the final stage is so hard that in order for me to make it through and not completely lose my mind, I have to take breaks. <laughs> hey, your um, mental health above all else. Yep. Seriously, I mean, and like the final, the the narrative stuff that happens in the final stage, and you know, I talked about this at length over the last two episodes. So I'm not gonna like deep dive back into it, but it's really, really amazing. Like the the narrative work that's being done in that game, I really can't recommend it enough. Um, but um, I've also been playing a lot more of uh, Destiny Two, so I've been really excited to see that with the Forsaken launch that we are now what, three odd weeks out from launch that they continue to add content, which is awesome. And I know that they have a season pass, pan, uh, season pass plan in place um, and that that's going to add even more content in between, you know, the major content drops. But it's been, it's been really fun. Obviously, I got into a little bit of a heated conversation with Destin from IGN's Fireteam Chat. In Ooh, fact, when I am going on Fireteam Chat, so I believe that's posting tomorrow on Saturday. So if you guys are interested in hearing me um, kind of rant and get into it with uh, with those guys about Destiny 2, uh, please do check out IGN's Fireteam Chat this week. But um, <laughs> it's, been, it's been fun. I would love to tell you my impressions on the raid, but I'm not strong enough to enter the raid yet. <laughs> Because the light level requirements of the raid are absolutely outrageous. Um, and I had a big back and forth with him about, you know, the idea of how raiding in MMOs is gated and the long tail of content and how, you know, raids are designed for only a small select group to be able to be world's first or to be able to compete. And Steimer, I was hoping that maybe you could provide me some insight as somebody who's played more in the PC space than I have, if you think that making certain types of endgame content exclusive to only the hardest of hardcore dedicated players is something that is first common and duh, of course, only like a thousand people should be able to play it and B, like what you think of that. Do you think that's good or bad? Here's what I will say. It is common for MMOs to have end game content like a raid that most people won't touch. However, those games also have significantly more other content to partake in than Destiny. So I think it's not really a complete apples to apples comparison because even if I jumped into Guild Wars right now, I could still go play something and I could play something at my level and I could try a raid. My gear would suck. It would, I would probably be really miserable doing it but i could give it a go i could enter it i think unless they've i don't know actually no i haven't looked into it too much but 
the gating there isn't as significant as destiny can be. But I do think with destiny, you tend to run out of things to do a lot more quickly than you would with an actual MMO. You can just like, I could just dick around in guild wars if I wanted to, or hell and wow, just be like, I'm picking flowers today and I'm selling them on the market. That's what I'm doing today. This is my gameplay experience. Uh, but with destiny, you're like either I'm running uh, a strike or one of the many other missions where you are literally just shooting things and then coming back and then shooting things and then coming back. So I think it's, I understand why they, why they do it that way, but I do see your point of you. It's harder to justify such a high gate when there isn't as much other stuff to do, like give everybody more content instead of trying to lock it all behind prestige yeah and i think that that was you know one of the reasons why i've been you know frustrated and why a lot of destiny fans are frustrated not just with you know the launch of d2 and how there was a lot of features that we had hoped were going to be fixed for d2 from from destiny but that it seems to me that so much of the long tail of this content isn't additional content it's literally just replaying the same content with an artificial grind in place so that, that instead of me being able to play the game for 50 hours and then access endgame content, which seems like a reasonable amount of time to get to endgame content, 50 hours is a lot of time to invest in a single game. Yep. Um, and sure, like I might not be able to beat the endgame content at my first go. I might have to practice and play it for several more hours before I'm able to you know, even make a dent. But the idea that I can't even enter... Well, I mean, I can enter it, but I'll immediately die But from the first enemy that shoots me, no matter how low level that enemy is, Pew! because my armor isn't strong enough to protect me from, from them, um, just seemed really frustrating to me. And that's something that I'm still struggling with. And I've been talking about it a lot with the clan mates, the, the What's Good Guardians, and um, they've, been, they've been so good about like trying to keep me positive, and I really appreciate it. They're like, but you love Destiny. And I was like, I do. I do love Destiny. <laughs> As she cries. I love it yeah, so I much. I love it so much. Yeah, I think no. it's frustrating because Destiny likes to toe the line of we're an MMO, we're not an MMO. And to me, I'm like, you need to pick a lane. Pick a lane. What are you? If you want to go that route of gear grinding like that level of gear grinding and that level of gatekeeping on your end game content you kind of need to flesh the other parts out a lot better to make up for it uh, but if you don't want to do that which is again another very valid design choice you need to reconsider how you build out your end game and it can't just be you are replaying the old content where you have already played a thousand times over and over again to hopefully get a drop of gear that will make you a little bit better so that one day, eventually, you can make it to this thing we made probably a year ago because that might be how long it takes you to get here. That's an exaggeration. It shouldn't take you that long. It's not, it's not an exaggeration, though, because I'm going to use an example that we, uh, this past weekend, when I got home from Tokyo and I was sleeping at all random hours of the day because of weird jet lag, um, I decided to play the raid, the Leviathan raid, which is what shipped with Destiny 2 when it launched last year. And so going in now, uh, my light level was like 518 or something like that. The light level for that raid is minimum 300 and the maximum drops you get are 380. So quite a gap between where yeah. I am now. Should have been relatively easy. You would think 
It would be. So we took three new people in the clan who had never done the raid. Mm, that can so be a problem, are, though, because coordination. Are you from, well, that's that's the point I'm going to get to, is that we had three people Sorry. in the raid that were all super high level that easily could have, you know, like helped cheese the other three people through it, right? Because we could have soaked damage from the from the bosses and done most of the DPS work and all of that to kind of like get them through the actual execution part of the raid, which is always the most challenging part of the raid. No matter how powerful your guns are or your gear is, the greatest part about the raids, particularly in Destiny, because that's the experience I'm talking about. I can't speak to the way other raids are in other games. Is that the way that they're designed really encourages you and kind of forces you to have to work together as a team. I'm not saying it's not possible to do them with less than six people. Of course, it's been shown that you can. But in its truest form, like the teamwork you use in doing these instances is so gratifying, so rewarding that you executed it is great. So this idea that there's this artificial gate because they want to make enemies more bullet spongy so it takes just more shots to kill them, you know, or they want to devalue the power of your guns, your gear, because they want to scale up because you've scaled up. So they've scaled up the enemies, but the rewards didn't drop. And so we went in there and it took us For over no seven hours. No, well, no, because we're all now, we all were over 400 light because we're in the new expansion. So, and the enemy scaled. So you would think that we would be able to like one shot kill most of these enemies and that the hard part would still be kind of like the the execution of of it. And uh, if you guys have played the Leviathan raid and you are familiar with the gauntlet room, that room in particular took us almost three hours to do because when you're teaching new people that room, it just takes... Sometimes it takes a while. But when you're teaching get- half your crew, I think that's another thing. It's like, right. well, of course, that's a lot of, of course, that's a lot of new people to have in a in a high end content. Yes, yes, I agree. But like, my frustration came because I was not anticipating getting higher level drops from that raid, but I was anticipating being powerful. I anticipated going in, being powerful, feeling good, but also not getting any rewards for it, right? Essentially getting something that I was going to dismantle for parts Mm -hmm. and that I wasn't going to get anything good because it was easy, but it wasn't easy. And I still got shitty rewards. And I was like, wait a minute, there's got to be a better way. Like you either got to make the rewards semi worthwhile or you got to like scale down the, the, the upscaling on the enemy difficulty. And it was just like, and it led me back. The reason I bring this up is that it led me back to my main point about the brand new raid, The Last Wish, and how this idea that you have to be this incredibly high light level to succeed, or you go in at a low light level and it takes you, what, 20 hours to beat the raid? And I get that, like, they were figuring in time where they had to discover the mechanics, right? Sure. But but even now, like, teams that are running it, Teams that are in our our clan that are like 550 or 560 haven't beat it because they just don't have the coordination. It's like, huh. it's like it's it's infuriating that that either they dropped it, they dropped it the raid too early. They should have given people another couple of weeks to power up because you can only collect so much powerful gear per week based off the way that the drop system works in Destiny. Or they should have lowered the light level and then added a prestige level for people who want to play it on a higher difficulty setting. No, they're going to add a prestige level eventually, but we don't know when that is. Huh. So it's like, here's this content. You can't do it. Sorry. 
And again, yeah. that's that is normal yeah. for for an actual MMO. Uh, and just here it feels a little odd because, in my it's opinion, not like you one have of the reasons, all of yeah, exactly. It's missing a lot yeah. of the other meat in the pie that would normally Ooh. make it yeah, and and I juicy think that- and appealing. I agree with, you know, some of the some of the WG Guardians like saying there's so much more. There's so many more ways to do the grind than there was before. They've added daily bounties back in. They've added daily missions. They've added more ways to get powerful gear. They've basically given you more ways to complete the grind, which I appreciate. But the grind is essentially still the same. And unless you have people who have are willing to dedicate multiple hours on a daily basis do the grind and then carry you through to help you do the grind, then it's going to take you even that much longer. And I say this because when the the main campaign uh, of destiny ended, like with every expansion that's come with destiny, it's not truly the end, even though the narrative end is done. The, like the cutscenes are supposedly done. You go and then do patrols and, and do other missions and other things that, you know, kind of extend the length of the, the new lore in the, in the, in the, um, expansion but i couldn't go directly from the end of the campaign into this new area because i had to grind out this specific quest to unlock a key that then opened the new area and then when i got there i just died all the time because all the enemies were so high level but i was never gifted any gear in order to make me strong enough to even do the basic missions in that area so then i had to leave the brand new area which just opened and i'm like oh my god i finally made it to the dreaming city this is so exciting welcome to hell i was like i literally (laughs) couldn't do any of the missions there i I picked them up and all of the enemies had the question mark, which meant that I was, and then when which I would shoot them, they would be immune, which meant that I was too low level to do any damage. And I was like, well, this fucking sucks. So I left the Dreaming City and went back to the other areas of Destiny that I've already been playing and had to replay all of that content again. Huh. I mean, to, at least it's appropriately named. <laughs> like you... It's true. You it. only access this area in your dreams. Huh. <laughs> Has uh, has Destiny had this problem in the past? It sounds like it's yes. just really bad. Oh, okay, so nothing. New. Yes, that has. Yes, that sucks. <sighs> I was I was bummed, but the upside because I don't want this to sound like a crazy rant because I am enjoying my time with the game. <laughs> Sorry, Desp- I know I know it's funny, right, Brittany? It's funny because I, I again I want to start a drama about you and Destiny. I feel like it'd be the best romantic drama comedy ever because it's. You would get, you guys would break up like every week, but then get back together immediately. It's like me and We're Nintendo like a soap girl. opera. I get it. I I get the love and I get the frustration. I know. I just <laughs> I just I don't want I I don't want to have to spend so much time grinding in that game. Okay, this is what we're gonna to do able- every okay. week. That's I'm gonna why ask I don't want to play anymore. Feeling with Destiny. So right no, now, I this started. week, one to ten, ten. Oh my god, are you absolutely. doing a mood chart? Yes, at one to ten, ten being absolutely enthralled, one being like, I fucking hate everything. What would you say your feelings toward Destiny 2 are right now? A seven. Okay. Noted. This is going to be great. I'm very excited Except about Except we this. won't talk to her for two more weeks. I know. Well, when we come back, we'll, we'll ask her again. I don't think I'm bringing a console on this trip, though. No, you shouldn't. But so at least probably be like bring a, a Switch, but back. not But like dude, that regular. Assassin's Creed draw is real. Girl so good um i do want to end just one final note and i'm going to keep it short i do really love 
what they've done with the lore in this expansion. It's much needed and long overdue and they're doing really cool things. And I want to thank the, the, the guardians, the Westwood guardians for, for taking me through so much of this content. I just did the offering at the Oracle engine and the, cutscene that happens when you do that i'm not going to say anything about because i don't want to spoil it for anybody who hasn't done it yet but um there are payoffs there are lore payoffs and i do look forward to one day doing the dreaming city raid the last wish eventually someday like three months from now (laughs) i don't know when (laughs) whenever i can get high enough level to not die every two minutes get grinding okay um and with that Do you want to do you want to um, pick up one of these dear WGG questions or do you want to talk about one of these other 50,000 games you're playing, Brittany? I I can talk. uh, Well, there I go again in my ear. The world is so strange. Um, I'll talk about one of the 50 games I'm playing. Perfect. Which one? uh, Which one? Let's see. I have Little Dragons Cafe. Yeah. Sounds adorable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's created by Yasuhiro Wada, who made. I, I tried to pronounce it, and it was not good. Was, Yasuhiro good Wada. Yeah, those are weird, like English accent thrown in there. I don't know what happened. Anyway, he is the creator of Rune Factory and Harvest Moon, and he. <gasps> I and he made a game called on. Little Dragons Cafe. Yes, yes, he's is the god of world timer. Yes, yes. <gasps> <gasps> I can't believe you didn't hear about this game. I don't it's know. Like totally right up your alley. Yeah. So here. Okay. So I love Harvest Moon. I'm just, I loved Harvest Moon. Now I love Story of Seasons. Harvest Moon can go die in a fire. It needs to actually go die in a fire. <gasps> oh no. Oh my God. This shit is so cute. It's, it's really cute. So the idea, the whole gameplay loop is that you have to venture off into the world and collect ingredients and find recipes and come back to your cafe and you have staff that help you and you create um you create you cook food and you can use that to feed your dragon so the dragon the dragon comes into play turns out your mom's half dragon or something like that sure i don't know it's Why weird not? yeah one day she's hunky dory the next day you and your twin you can play as the boy or the girl they're twins they're like, hey, mom, how are you? She's like, I'm not feeling too good, but I love you. All right. See you in the next morning. She's in a coma because she's apparently half dragon. It's weird stuff. So she's like the, the next- original dragonborn. <laughs> Absolutely. 100% oh, You nailed zing. it. And so then a, a dragon egg comes and you are told that if you raise this dragon, it will save your mother. And then this, the okay. game just kind of goes from there. So I am hesitating because it's really cute. I've spent maybe 10 hours or so with it. But it's it's so sh- the the gameplay is pretty shallow compared to a story of seasons game, and not only that, it just doesn't run very well on the Switch. Aww. I mean, it, the frame rate is but pretty the slow. But the dragon's really cute. The frame rate is slow. The controls are pretty slippery, and they're not. The controls are so unpolished that you are actually punished for it. In certain, there are these enemies called Zukis, Z U C C H I S, and they're like beasts with chicken bones sticking out of the back of them. I don't know. It's weird. But your your dragon has to hunt them in order for you to get the meat so you can cook with it. The problem is, in order to hunt these animals, you have to be right next to them, and then you have to whistle. The whistling animation takes about a second, but by that point, the enemies are on you, and when they touch you, you lose any and all cooking dishes you have in your inventory. And there's Hmm. literally hardly any way around that. So 
it's not the most polished game, and I would say I'd only recommend it if you are into that sort of relaxing, chill gameplay loop that you would get from a Story of Seasons or a Harvest But is it game. relaxing and chill if you are losing your shit when you're trying to get the food necessary for a young Master Dragon? <laughs> young Master Dragon? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it definitely takes away from it, but if you play this game as more... If you play it with the idea that you're going to just have a chill time with it and sometimes it'll be something frustrating rather than have a critical eye when you play it it's that kind of game where you have to try to turn the critical eye off and just enjoy it for the experience that it's given you but gotcha. again it's super happy there and as you play the game you have new characters that come to your cafe and you have to cook recipes for them in order for them to fill their story meter and once they fill their story meter they leave and that's how you progress through the game new areas unlock you have to find these recipes that are in boxes scattered throughout the world every day ingredients spawn on plants or maybe fish you have a little garden that just grows on its own so it's definitely a management sim it's and i and i liked it but i think after 10 hours i'm like all right maybe i'm, I'm done just because yeah, that's fair. it's a good first it's a good first step i think that there have been talks about more in the future and i think if he takes this and then builds off of it there could be something very fun there so i should <sighs> wait for Dra- little dragons cafe too. Yeah, Little Dragon's Buffet or Little Dragon's Schmorgasborg. Or just Dragon's Cafe. Yeah, because he's angry me little after lose that. the little. He's not little. Yeah. You're a big dragon. Yeah. Yes. 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 That's what I have to say about that. Cool. And stuff. It's very cool. Anyone? Do you want me to take the next one? I can. Um, yeah, because... I've played well, nothing else, well, we can so t- I've got nothing well, to talk about anymore. Well, we can talk very briefly about... Assassin's Creed Odyssey. So, um, technically, the embargo for this game is not officially up. The review embargo is next week, right before launch. And I don't know if I can say the specific time of when it is, so I'll just be vague about it, but it's not today. And there was a streaming embargo that lifted. So, you may have seen some of your favorite streamers or some video game outlets streaming Assassin's Creed Odyssey. And so, as we mentioned at the top of the show, it's been or maybe we talked about it before we started recording. It's kind of confusing as to like what we can and can't talk about. Um, but I'm going to look up the the restrictions again just to, <laughs> just to be sure. Um, but I can say, hot damn, I'm having a fantastic time in this game. I'm so excited to start it up. Maybe I'll do that tonight. Yeah, it's strange because the streaming emb- streaming embargo I think is the twenty seven. It was it, today. It was 26. today, 26th. And so what's tricky about, and we, we oftentimes get lots of interesting review guides. This is what we want you to talk about. This is what you can't talk about. These odd restrictions. And it's hard because if you are streaming a game, there's a high likelihood that you're going to talk about how that game makes you feel and what you like about the game or maybe what's a little frustrating just as you're casually playing it. And then the tricky part comes in, are you technically reviewing it right now or are these just early impressions? But it's not even like because the the wording was hands on impressions or reviews. But then it says the review in progress streaming embargo is Wednesday the twenty sixth. Who knows? It's it's this not why, clear. That's why I stay far far away from this one. <laughs> I'm too nervous. I'm going to ruin something yeah, or stream something. And it's, it's just not even worth it. <laughs> yeah, we will talk about it later. I'll play it from the safety and security of my house, where no one can watch, except for my husband, Reaper. Um. And your dog. Well, I'm going to be, but I'm going to be gone and I want to talk about well, it. Well, you have to wait hey. just so we don't get blacklisted. <laughs> you can record us a little segment from Italy and I'll insert it in. 
Oh yeah, you could record a little thing before you go, and then we just can insert it in yeah. later. Okay. Um, here's what I'll say. I'll say one thing. Um, because I I had been tweeting with some people um, about this because I posted a screenshot uh, of Cassandra on her ship because of course I chose Cassandra. Duh. Um. And there was a squad, because squad skins are back, which you may remember from previous Assassin's Creed games. And so I made all of the crew on my ship female assassins. Mm-hmm. And so what the cool part was is that when they started singing, shanties are back, beachy dubs, um, they all started singing in female harmony. So it was all female voices with my all female crew. And that was like, when that moment happened, I was like, like the heavens opening i felt like such a badass being this like total like xena warrior princess type character um like on my crew or on my deck of my ship with all of my like badass crewmates mm-hmm. and they're all like singing this like rousing greek song and i'm just like this is this See, is amazing that's so cool and it you know i think this is what something that's so great about our podcast is that we do provide the perspective as you know if you are a male gamer you might not think that this is such a big deal or like so what but for us when that little moment happens i mean i almost expect you to say that male voices came out of the female crew skins or whatever the hell that's what i thought was gonna happen i just thought that it was a cosmetic skin yeah it's just a cosmetic thing but when they actually put in the female voices it's like oh my god that is still so cool that's awesome yeah it was really great and it it takes all of the things i loved about origins improves upon them and then adds things and i will say if you guys start to play this when i'm gone not just you two ladies but people listening and watching know that your choices will have consequences things that happen in side quests will have consequences in ways that you don't anticipate and i had to find that out the hard way and i also failed quests for the first time in this game which i didn't know you could do but i did it so be careful about which quests you accept when you accept them because you can fail stuff and you feel bad about it. And then you're like, but wait, I want to go back. And they do have a quick save system. So Pew. if you want to cheese it with the saves, you probably could. But I didn't. I was just like, well, that's just the way the were you crumbled. Were you mean to people, Andrea? And you thought there'd be no consequences no, for your actions? I thought I was doing the right thing. I thought I was making the right call, doing something for someone, being vague here. And it turned out it wasn't the right call. And it screwed it up. Aw. Wow, and wow. I feel bad now. I don't know how to fix it. Because it was a long time ago and I can't go back no to that overs. save. I would lose a ton of progress. <laughs> I'm like, God damn it, this has never happened to me in Assassin's Creed before. <laughs> um, no. So I'm I'm excited for you guys to 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 play. Obviously, like I spoke ad nauseum about Origins last year and how much I loved it. And I'm gonna be honest, I was I was going into Odyssey pretty blind, but I knew that I would like it. But I didn't really know much about the story, and so far, like it's really just hitting all the right notes. So thank you to Ubisoft for sending us the promotional code for Assassin's Creed Odyssey. I can't wait to sync dozens and dozens more hours into this game i'm ready my body is ready our body is ready our body is ready we will definitely be talking more about this and we might have to do a spoiler cast on this at some point yeah because there's lots of stuff to talk about now steimer hmm. real talk me baby girl do you think you'll get around to playing broken sword 5 on your switch because if so i'll wait to talk about it next week when it's the Britain steimer show I'm not sure because she has to play Valkyria Chronicles 4. Yeah. That's the thing. I mean, honestly, I'd rather obviously play Broken Sword because it's more more of a jam. 
Okay. But, we could technically play both, I guess. I mean, okay. I no. In what universe do I have all this time? Where are you pulling? Do I have okay. a time turner now? I wish, <laughs> right? Okay. Do you think you could maybe spend like a couple hours with it? Because I'd really like to talk to you with you about yes, this one. Yes, I could play okay. a couple hours of it. I okay, we'll punt this it. until next week then. Okay. That's fine. Okay. Cool. On that note, let's take another quick break. And we, when we come back, if there's anything else, Britt, that you want to touch on, you'll let me know. But we've got Tokyo Game Show to recap for you guys. And um, we have, I think, uh, another WGG question. Stick with us, ladies and gentlemen. We will be right back. Welcome back, everybody. It's the final segment of the What's Good Games podcast, where we are talking about Tokyo Game Show 2018. Yes, I was in Japan. I went to the Makahari Messe. I think I said that right. Uh, The convention center where Tokyo Game Show happens every year. And man, it was a unique, interesting experience. And I'm so glad that I was able to go. Uh, Brandon Gann uh, wrote into WGG and says, hello, what's good? PlayStation is in a curious spot, and I was hoping to know your take on where we stand in regards to the recent announcement and lack thereof. Now that we're on the other side of TGS, oh, this is not the question I thought it was. Uh oh. Um, but now that I'm in it, we're just going to answer it, and then <laughs> we're going to move on. Uh, do you think PlayStation had a great outing at the show? And what are your takes on surrounding the various details of the PlayStation Classic, which was announced, uh, like not knowing the full library, the price point, etc.? So this is a piece of news that we missed last week since Simon and I recorded a special episode. Um, if you didn't hear, the PlayStation Classic is, of course, their mini PlayStation 1, uh, complete with DualShock controllers and 20 classic PlayStation titles. They, of course, have not revealed the full list of games, which to me is kind of a head-scratcher. Why wouldn't you not just list them all? Um, but maybe that means they're still adding titles? I don't know. They're probably and of course, still locking down at, contracts. That might be. It's uh, $99.99, correct? No idea. PlayStation. I was like, I literally saw it on Twitter. I was like, oh, that's cute. Won't buy it. And Pre-order. Yes, it's $99.99. Okay. Sorry, I was, I was um, looking up details on something that is irrelevant. So I was actually wine tasting in Italy. No, no, no. Santorini. Ooh, when I, when I happened to open up Jason's Twitter, because my Twitter's on his Twitter account. How many forest floor flavors did you experience on that wine tasting? I don't know, but all that wine kind of sucked, if I'm just going to be honest. Oh, right. just, Greek what? wine is not really, like, the hotness right now. Oh, really? No, that's good. Yeah. To, I don't know. They it, There was a cat there, and that was kind of a highlight of the, <laughs> of the day. It was pretty cool. There's a lot of cats in Europe. Um, <gasps> and I, I opened up Twitter, and I was like, oh my god, it's like, is this real? And... At first, I was extremely excited, as as I do as Brit. I, you know, I Britify things, and I'm still excited about it. But then the critic in me is like, okay, I have about 10 copies of all of these games across all of my PlayStation platforms right now. Do I really need this? And the answer is yes, I do, because uh, it's PlayStation 1. It's like one of my favorite consoles ever. And it does have some great games on it that we know of. But, I mean... I would say I'm more excited. I was more excited about the SNES Classic than the PlayStation Classic. I think those games just translate better. And I was talking about this with somebody on social media as well, that those kind of like side-scrolling or 2D pixel games just, you know, hold up better today than these kind of more polygonal games that just 
don't, they just don't look the same. And it's, it's frustrating that, you know, we can't go back in time and look at these games that were so iconic for their era and go, yeah, it totally aged well because most of them have not. No. No. I'm excited though. I mean, yeah. I think that's, that's one of the hard parts. When I just hopped into Final Fantasy VII not that long ago, uh, you know, the game looks like shit, but I was able to look past that because I grew up with those graphics. But people who haven't, they're probably like, what is this blocky ass cloud looking weird mother effer? What is happening? Can't play this game. Yeah, just wait for the remake. That's yeah. never coming. Oh, just kidding. It'll come in like 2021 when, the, you know, the next PlayStation, when PlayStation 5 launches. And they'll <laughs> be like, here's the Final Fantasy VII remake. Um, <laughs> um, where we, uh, did PlayStation have a great outing at the show? So the PlayStation booth was fantastic. They did a giant esports presentation and they had some panels. Um, as far as like, the games, they didn't have any new demos there. Um, they were re-showing the Kingdom Hearts 3 demo that we saw at E3. They had uh, a motorcycle from Days Gone that you could take a photo with, but the game was not there. Uh, they had Sekiro, uh, which we saw. They had new gameplay, but like that's not a PlayStation-exclusive game. I know it's coming to other platforms. Um, but it was in the PlayStation booth. Um, at at TGS. They had the weird statue of Norman Reedus' character from Death Stranding that I took a photo with that he's holding like the little baby in the tube thing. Oh boy. Uh, So that was kind of fun. They had a lot of PlayStation VR games that were playable on the show floor. So they had a a definite like impressive booth uh, display on the show floor, but I mean, it's not like they were bringing the goods on a bunch of new games. Now, Bandai Namco, on the other hand, had a ton of games that they were showcasing and giving some hands-on with. So I had the honor of being invited by Bandai Namco to visit their Japanese headquarters in Tokyo, which was super cool. And I got to get uh, some hands-on time, and I watched some presentations on some games. Let me pull up my notes, actually. So... Um, oh no, these are wrong notes. Oh, I have it in Google Docs. Hold on one second. He's got the wrong notes. Recent. Here we are. Uh, preview event. Okay, so Ace Combat 7 Skies Unknown. So I haven't played an Ace Combat game in, I don't even remember when. It's, it's been, been a 85 years. Yeah, so they were talking, 85 years, precisely. Uh, They were talking a lot about the VR mode. So this is something that's really cool and really exciting to people who are into virtual reality gaming because isn't this kind of like the the dream game for VR, like the idea that you're in a cockpit flying a fighter jet, right? Um, To me, I was watching the footage. Just thinking about it. Literally, literally, I almost threw up just watching the footage. I didn't even put the headset on. I was like, no, no. Nope, don't don't want to. It's hard enough for me to fly those combat sequences in the air just on 2D, like when I'm just playing it mm-hmm. on a regular mm-hmm. game. So it was not meant for me personally, but I did le- uh, learn a lot about it. So the the VR mode is exclusively for uh, PSVR, by the way, and they said it may foretell future possibilities for Ace Combat franchise in the flight combat genre whatever that cryptic phrase means. <laughs> um, they're going to have three uh, VR-exclusive missions in the PS4 copy of the game. It's going to have a VR hangar where you can walk around life-size fighter aircraft 
and kind of see them up close as if they were, you know, like how big they are in real life, which is kind of an interesting idea. They're also going to have a VR air show that you can watch at any time where you'll be aboard an aircraft carrier and you can like watch an air show oh, um, like in virtual Angels reality. That's interesting. Yeah, and it's um it's fully voiced commentary from the commander of the carrier, but I don't think it's going to be like FMV. I think it's going to be like all animated air shows. Huh. Um, so it's a it, interesting uh, a mode to include in this game, and then they also have a VR cockpit, which they've designed to look like the real thing. So when you're sitting inside the cockpit, it's it's a replica of what is in these actual aircraft. And they say, quote, tension of combat will be felt on a visceral level, <laughs> meaning smoke and fire will appear in the comp- in the cockpit if you're getting attacked by enemy aircraft. Um, and there will be four levels of dis- difficulty from easy to ace, plus a free flight mode if you just want to fly around and not have to fight anybody. Um, but I played uh, just with the regular controller, and it was fun. It feels really good. The aircraft looked good. And so if you're pumped for Ace Combat, like I, I enjoyed my time. It's just not my style of game, but everything I played looks really looked really beautiful. Um, they also uh, showed off some Jump Force, which of course is their fighting game that they announced at the Xbox stage back at E3 with a lot of manga characters that I have no idea who they are. <laughs> it was so funny. I was sitting, I was I, thankfully friend of the show, Kimberly Wallace from Game Informer was at this oh, press event with me. You? Yeah. Thank God. I was like, Kim, help me. <laughs> She's like, don't worry, stick with me, kid. Um, <laughs> and so we're sitting we're sitting together at the Jump Force presentation, and the gentleman who was giving the presentation had a, a European accent that I couldn't place. And he so he was saying the names of all these characters, and I was just like I just could not understand what they were. And I don't think it's because it was his fault. I think it's because even if he said them in perfect, like American <laughs> accent English, I would not have understood what, he, what they were. Oh my God. Um, but um, of course, so Jump Force is One Piece. Um, oh my God. What are the other two mangas that are in Jump Force? Dragon Ball. I don't know, but I can Google it. Yeah, Dr- Dragon Ball, and there's one more. Oh my God. Jump uh, Force. Do, do, do. Oh, it's not Death Note, is it? I don't think so. Dragon okay, Ball, One like... Piece, and Naruto. Naruto. There it is, Naruto. Yeah. Um, so those and three, many more, sorry, it says, he, but... Yeah, so those are like the three pillar, the three, so the three pillar characters from each of those manga are, they announced on the, um, for the collector's edition on this statue. Um, and then of co- they, of course, play a key role in the narrative. But they have so many cool characters. Plus, they talked about the original characters for the game. So they have Glover, Navigator, Galena, and Kane that are going to all have a key role in the story mode. So these are original characters specifically for Jump Forest. Um, Glover is the leader of Jump Forest. Galena and Kane are uh, villains in the story. And um, they didn't really give too many details about Navigator, but... Um, it was really, um, it was really cool that they sh- showed off some some of the gameplay. The game looks great. Um, I just have no idea what's <laughs> happening from a narrative perspective. I'm just not <laughs> even going to pretend. You guys know, uh, you guys know this, but, um, <gasps> but I uh, I think that this is clearly making a lot of Japanese manga fans very happy. Um, Did you see Trunks brief? Trunks briefs. The yeah, pur- the purple haired wonder. She's like, yeah, I totally saw him. She's like, I don't know who that is. Okay, that's fine. yeah. 
There's definitely somebody with purple hair. Uh, <sighs> that's my that's my husband. Um, my husbando. <laughs> um, God Eater Three was a game I was not anticipating getting to see at TGS, but it was there. So. Um, if you guys aren't familiar with the God Eater franchise, it's very much like a Monster Hunter clone, like in every way, shape, and form. This is basically like Ben and Namco looking at what Capcom was doing and going, we need that. <laughs> and so they made God Eater. Um, <clears throat> it started out on the PSP, I believe, and then was on PlayStation Vita. And so this is the first in the franchise that's being released only on console. So it's coming to PlayStation 4, and it was really interesting because somebody in our group Q&A asked the development team, you know, why didn't you decide to come to, like, Nintendo Switch or go handheld when this is clearly, like, a franchise with a legacy in handheld devices? And they just danced around the answer to that question, and he, and he kept being like, what, you're not answering my question." <laughs> Oh, and and I think what it came down to was what they wanted to do with the game wasn't possible with Nintendo Switch. And so that's why it's coming to PlayStation 4. And that obviously Sony has announced the end of the Vita life cycle, so Mm -hmm. they can't release it on Vita realistically. Uh, uh And so that's and that's where it's at. And I think they also wanted to really kind of put a, a fresh coat of paint on this franchise and do some things a, a, a little bit differently. And um, there's a studio. Yes, Marvelous. So they're doing joint development of this game with Marvelous, who is helping to uh, renovate the game engine to improve the graphics after, of course, a graphical improvement was requested by fans. So can confirm. Graphics look good. And um, if you guys are interested, of course, there's, I believe, some new a new trailer that was released specifically for TGS that you guys can check out. But it looks nice. Imagine Monster Hunter, but with more narrative. And I know that some people are really into that. And some people are like, nah, dog, I just want to, like, go kill stuff. I don't want to, like, hassle with storylines or quests or anything like that that aren't related to hunting monsters and that's i think where monster hunter really found its niche and that's what god eater fans like is that it's more narrative heavy and there certainly is a lot more happening from that perspective um this time around as well are you gonna give it a shot since you like monster hunter so much um you know i'm not sure i definitely was more intrigued going into this demo than i would have been if i hadn't spent 75 hours with monster hunter world earlier this year um, I probably wouldn't have even like given it a second thought, but I was watching the demo and hearing them talk about all of the new stuff that you have, like the free, the, the how you can run around uh, the characters and how they have the new burst starts actions and all of these new devouring attacks and these different things you can do. And I'm, I might give it a go. The na- getting into the narrative, uh, the third installment might be tough in a game that's focusing more on narrative than on combat. It was easy to get into Monster Hunter from a narrative perspective because it was re- literally just like, you're on this ship. You're going to this island to kill this big monster. And that's it. Have fun. You killed it. Good job. <laughs> like Your job monster is Hunter to kill monsters seconds. in Monster Hunter. <laughs> yeah. You can't get more literal than that. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so I'm not sure. Um, we're gonna put a, a, a big maybe on that one. <laughs> on that one, pretty. noted. Um, they did also show some more stuff from One Piece World Seeker, 
which of course is the new One Piece game. There are there'll be two factions, pro navy and anti navy. Uh, there are going to be game original characters, brand new for this game that were created by One Piece creator Odasan. Uh, that's uh, Jean, the leader of the anti navy group, the new female character, and then Isaac, the warden of the prison island. This new location for One Piece World Seeker. So they wanted a fresh experience um, for experienced manga game players, not just a simple good versus evil concept game. And they have pushed the release date for One Piece World Seeker out to 2019 after feedback from a recent showing of the game because they clearly were like, hey, we got more work to do. So they've delayed the release of that game. Um, yeah, so I think that's most of the news from everything that I talked about. Um, I do want to say I got to play Earth Defense Force 5. My God. I haven't played an Earth Defense Force game in a hot minute. Have you either of you played anything from the Earth Defense Force franchise? I haven't, but I've been watching trailers and stuff for this game. It looks bonkers in a good way. Stimer, you ever dipped your toes in EDF? I definitely watched Brudvig review one once. But I don't remember if I played with him or not. Yeah. It, it, basically, in a nutshell, it's just you shooting giant bugs. Yes. I knew. So. Yeah, I know the giant <laughs> bug concept. Yeah. So it's, um, I mean, EDF 5 and EDF Iron Rain, which is the 2019 release. Um, and EDF 5 is coming out sometime later this year. I mean, that's what they are. They're just shooting giant bugs. But the guns feel great. Uh, the graphics in Iron Rain in particular look really awesome. It definitely needed a, a graphical upgrade <laughs> for sure. But I mean, it, it's just fun. That game, I think, really leaned in to the almost like B-movie. The like camp the factor. Kind of the Sharknado factor. Mm -hmm. This idea that it's just so ridiculous that let's just run with it. And their fan base has really loved it. And I'm glad, though, that instead of just kind of, you know, resting on their laurels, they're like, hey, if we're going to do this, let's do it. You know, like, let's make it look good. Let's make it play good. Let's not make it janky, you know, because <laughs> some of those old games, man, they were oh, rough. Yeah. <laughs> B-movie in spirit, not in controls and mechanics. Right. So what I played was super fun, and I, I had not anticipated putting – Earth Defense Force Iron Rain on my to-do list in 2019, but it's there now. So it's fucking awesome. <laughs> but I, I love Katamari, so please tell me what you played. Yeah, so I had never played Katamari before, Katamari Damacy. And if you guys aren't familiar, like I wasn't, it's a puzzle game where you roll around this ball, and the ball just picks up items, like a sticky ball, and you just keep picking up you items. You have to accrue mass. Right. To get, the idea is yeah. to get to a certain diameter of junk. And a certain amount of time. And you pick, you pick up junk in order of its size, and that's part of... Yes. <laughs> Not that kind that of was, junk. Uh, no, she meant diameter in a certain amount oh, of time. Oh, oh, right? oh. And no? junk. And junk. Yeah. All of it. It was just great. There was great. a was lot perfect. of entendre there. Um, and obviously that's the puzzle element of the game. And I picked it up to play it on Nintendo Switch because they were Katamari uh, re-roll is what they were showing. And I had no idea what I was doing. And you just roll around. John came over. John came over and helped me. Not uh, not my John. Kim's John. And he, I was like, am I doing 
am I doing something wrong here? Probably. And he was like, the controls for Katamari are notoriously a little difficult. So I was like, okay, well, you play it and I'll watch. And so I watched and he just like breezed right through the level. And I was like, what the fuck am I doing wrong? It's just rolling around a giant ball. It's rolling uh, around a giant ball, but you have to like collect the smaller objects so that your ball can pick up the bigger objects. You have to like do it in a certain there's a pattern yes. to it. Not a pattern. That part I understood Strategy. because Donut County is essentially just reverse Katamari. Yes. And so I was like, okay, I can I can get that I can get into this. I was just having trouble because I didn't realize that you have to hold the sticks in opposite directions. Um and mm-hmm. I was pushing the sticks in the same direction, and that was my character was like, Nope, that's that's not how you do this. <laughs> and so once I figured it out, I was like, okay, I got it. It looks good. I mean, it's Katamari on Nintendo Switch. It's going to yeah. be perfect. You know, like it looked great. It it felt great once I figured out how to play, which is not on the game's fault. That's completely a user error. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, I, I think that game's going to be awesome. I actually don't know the release date for that game. Let me look it up. She's looking up the release date. Yeah, of the she Katamari Damacy Rero. Real. It's a thing. Oh, is that it? Domacy? I know I was saying that wrong. I don't know how to say it. Still looking up. But it's date. still. And your dad's really mean to you in that game and he yells at you <laughs> and tells you you're no good and it makes you feel bad inside. Is that why you roll around collecting mass? Yeah. I'm so upset. I'm going to turn into a ball of gravity. No, he like, to- he's like, you need to do this thing. And then you do the thing and he's like, you fucking suck. And you're like, wow. But dad, dad, but dad I love you. And he's like, it doesn't matter. Go yeah. roll around more. Oh, it, it Make looks a bigger like ball. Some people, some people are not, are not happy that they didn't update the, the controls. Oh, uh, I mean, I can see that if you're going to, if you're going to re-release it, like put a little polish on it, put a little effort in. Yeah. It looks like the release date according to GameStop is December 7th. Oh, Cool. Oh. Yeah. So oh. I, mean, I thought you were making fun of me. I was like, geez, all right, spicy Brittany. <laughs> oh no. Oh no, same. Oh. Um so thank you to Bandai uh for, for having me out and showing me a bunch of your games. Um but I hate to do this to you, Bandai. But the star of everything I played at TGS was Devil May Cry five from Capcom. And I was not anticipating that going into this demo because I made the Capcom demo to play Resident Evil 2 because they had a brand new demo, which I mentioned I can't talk about yet. Um, or maybe I didn't mention that. Maybe you I mentioned, mentioned that, that on, on the pre-show. pre-show Patreon pre-show. Um, but uh, so the embargo for that's not up yet, but I will talk about it soon because I know Britt wants every drop of information she can get. Every drop. But Devil May Cry 5, um, obviously this game has been, we've known about this game for a little bit now, and they showed off some new trailers, and the the difference really this time is we've got three playable characters. Now, they didn't really show any of V, this third playable character, but I did get to play as both Nero and Dante in this demo. So, obviously the fast, fluid, combo-fantastic, combat you know from devil may cry is back and better than ever it looks beautiful it feels great and boy oh boy taking down demons with dual motorcycle blades 
is the funnest thing I never knew I wanted in a video game. <laughs> I need to Google what the fuck a motorcycle blade is. Um, so it has an official name. Let me look up. Oh, those look neat. Let me look up what the name of these things are. Oh, wait. She's looking up. No, I don't want a YouTube video. No. She's looking up. Are sharp? I'm confused. If they're blades, they're probably sharp. Well, I know, but on uh, on the actual motorcycle. So it's called the Cavalier. Um, So this is an actual weapon that you can. What's great about this is so it has a couple different forms. So in one in one form, it's dual blades that you kind of. So when you're sawing at them, the wheel almost acts like a chainsaw. Nice. Um, And then there is a version where they come together and you ride the motorcycle and then you can do a wheelie on the demons. And then, like, the wheels just, like, spin, like, damage into them as you're, like, popping a wheelie on their face. It's like oh a Lancer. So, I mean, it's on so satisfying. Yeah. I can't even tell you how much fun it was. And then there's another move where you can, like, do, like, a spin on the motorcycle, like, on the ground. And, like, you, like, can do, like, damage in a circle on the motorcycle. And it just... It was so much fun. <laughs> so much fun. I think Andrea had some anger to get out. I did. And I mean, like, obviously, it's like a super button mash heavy game. Um, but it, ju- it just felt so it just felt so empowering. And there's obviously two other weapon sets that that you can use. And one of them is more of a very up close melee weapon where you have to get super, super close. It's like where you where you're punching with these kind of like these glove things almost on your fists. And then there's uh, the traditional blade, which you can um, stand a little bit farther back. And certain enemies respond differently to certain weapons. So you really have to vary up your play style. You can't really lean too heavily on one weapon or the other, even though you're definitely going to develop a favorite. And it'll probably be the Cavalier because motorcycle blades are the best. Um, But (laughs) um, not every enemy responds to that. So you have to really kind of make use of your entire arsenal and really learn all of these different combat techniques and these combos that you can string together. And it just, it just was really fun. I had a fantastic time playing as both Nero and as Dante. And, you know, they kind of have a little bit of a different play style and I don't know all of the lore behind everything that, that happened in that demo, but I know that lots of DMC fans, you know, are super stoked that so many of these franchise characters are back um, in this installment. And it was just, it was good, you guys. Like, I didn't think I was going to want to play this game because I'm going to admit that I'm lost. I'm super lost when it comes to the narrative because I haven't been, I haven't played DMC since like DMC 2, I think. DMC 3. So it's been a a while and I didn't finish either of those games. I just kind of dabbled in them to try them out. But, um, but yeah, it's, it was really it's fun. Pretty. I played it at PAX West and I love the cheesiness of it. It reminds me of Bayonetta, right? I mean, I know that's probably not the most fair example to use because Bayonetta is much newer than Devil May Cry. No, but it is. It's platinum though. Like that's their style. There you go. Yeah. There you go. It was really fun. I also enjoyed it. I played as Nero and he is a husbando material for sure. He's really sassy, really over the top. I played with a baby ass baby mode auto lock system. That was the best way for me to play because it's all combo based and I just button mash and I hope for the best. So even I can do well in Devil May Cry 5. Thanks to baby ass baby mode. Yep. 
One day they'll call it that, and it'll be great. One one game, one of these days we'll do it, and it'll be fantastic. I mean, the closest we have is Wolfenstein, Don't Hurt Me, Daddy. <laughs> Which we conned the phrase off of. Mm. Yeah. So It's true. Wah, wah. It's true. Um, but yeah, so TGS, it was cool. I got to play a VR race on a photon bike. I posted that video on my Instagram. If you want to go check it out, that was wild. That thing was is going to be sold to arcades for between two and four million yen. Huh. The representative told me, which is I think I believe around twenty to forty thousand dollars, which is that's a, that's a lot of money for an arcade cabinet. Um, <laughs> but it was really cool. It looked like Tron. I that saw a PC bunch of really had. amazing. Wait, what? Sorry, that's it. The uh, la- the PC station you were sitting in that was really cool. Oh yeah, the gaming the gaming pod from yeah. Cooler Masters. So that I actually it was so ironic that I saw that at TGS because I just had seen like a CNET post about it from a different trade show, and I was like, ooh, that could get me back into PC gaming. And then I walked the floor of TGS and I saw it there, and I was like, oh my god, I have to sit in that thing. So that actually like um, reclines backwards, so you can kind of like tilt. It doesn't go fully flat or anything like that, because it's like those, um, you know, like moon-shaped pod. But they don't have a release date for it, and they don't have a price. It's like a prototype. Mm. And I was like, dang it. It looked so pretty and it was so comfortable and I would buy it, but I have to imagine it's not going to be less than like $10,000 for that thing. Yeah. And none of the, none of the parts come included. I asked them if the monitor was at least included and they're like, no. Oh, hot damn. None of the PC components are included. It's just like the chair Ah. with like the mounting bracket for the monitor. I think expensive. And I was like, I was like, dang, but it would be so cool to have. It would. Was it was it pretty big to take up a lot of room? Not really. Um, pretty. If you I don't say... lift the pillow up for your own sentence, I'm gonna smack oh, you. Oh shit! Sorry. Thanks, girl. Samer's <laughs> <laughs> got my back. <laughs> oh my god. Um, I would say the footprint is probably the same size footprint on like a floor as a love seat. Mm. Um, you know, like uh, maybe three feet by four or five feet. You know, so it's not too, it's not too big. <laughs> I can't, I can't stop thinking about it now. Um, <laughs> that's what she said. Uh, <laughs> just hold the pillow up the whole time. Yeah, it should Don't just be in down. the background forever. I should just move my sign that I have like here, right behind my head. Yeah. Yeah, you should. Um, but it was very um, interesting um, seeing TGS uh, from a different perspective because, you know, it's very different than a lot of the shows that we go to here in the States. While booth babes weren't prevalent there, they definitely still exist um, at TGS. And obviously, you know, uh, romance games are much bigger in Japan and are much different than they are here in, in the States or in other parts of the world. And that was also obvious. They had an area called the Romance um, Simulator Area. And okay. it was like romance VR games. And okay. I was just like... I was I Is was intrigued, but I didn't actually go over porn? there and play them. It's like it's like VR hentai, essentially. So uh, like, is yeah. hentai full on porn? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just interesting. making sure we're using the correct terms for what you saw. Yeah. Well, I didn't see it. That's <laughs> oh, the oh, thing. Oh, oh, I just oh. saw like the sign for it, and they didn't have any actual like nudity on those signs. But the girls were very close to being nude. Very 
much exposing themselves in very, you know, flirtatious ways, to put it mildly. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> yes. Um, it was interesting. I, I, had a, I had a random question because one of the things that I loved about Tokyo was the fashion. The fashion scene in Tokyo is amazing. Like so many women that I saw were so smartly dressed and had on these really cool outfits. And I spent a lot of time shopping in Shibuya and Harajuku and I did a little shopping in Ginza. And I just like loved, fell in love with the fashion in Tokyo. But what I noticed was that every woman I saw, like literally all of them with the exception of two the entire time I was there, all had high necklines, Hmm. like high necklines on everything. Uh, jackets, shirts, dress, dresses, workwear, everything, high neckline. And so I went out in like in a dress that had a lower neckline, like a tank top would. Like I'm not talking like I'm not wearing like a deep V, like J Lo at the Grammys or anything crazy. Sure. Um, but I was just like I I I went to John and I was like, am I being indecent? Like, uh, should I cover up? Is this weird? And he's like, no, you're fine. It's not a big deal. And I was like, yeah, but like none of the other women are exposing any part of their collarbone area like at all. It's like everything's up to the neck. Uh, not like turtlenecks, but like yeah, there's nothing like below the collarbone that's exposed. Yeah. And I was like, okay. Um, so I asked somebody, I was like, I have like a cultural question to ask and I don't know if anybody can give me an answer. So I asked a couple different people you know, like, is it that Japanese developers are kind of obsessed with boobs on their on their female characters because Japanese women are more conservative, that they wear high-collared stuff? Is that why? And some people were like, well, I don't think that's related. I go, you don't? <laughs> and somebody was like, well, you know, a lot of these developers came up in a different era, you know, like in the 80s and 90s, making video games was different, just like entertainment was different, you know, like it was the era of like Animal House and Revenge of the Nerds and, you know, a lot more things that would be wildly unacceptable today. Um, and I was like, okay, well, that that might be it too. And I was like, yeah, but it just seems like so many Japanese games just have these characters with these wild, crazy boobs. With the best physics ever where she takes like one step and they wiggle around in space and they're like Yeah, like the, the Koei Tecmo, Tecmo games, right? Yeah. Like the boob physics. Oh, man. They work on those boob physics very – like that's a big part of their engine. <laughs> <laughs> I know, man. They, they even made uh, points to talk about how – you know, their boob physics are improved year over year. Um, and no one could give me an answer. So if you are Japanese or have spent a significant amount of time living in Japan, or if you're a Japanese developer or no one, and you have some insight, please write in to contact at whatsgoodgames.com and let me know if my theory is completely off base and I'm stupid. Or if like, hey, yeah, maybe you're right. I don't know. <laughs> Asking the important it's interesting questions. that you say that. I mean, granted, it's been years, so I don't remember. It's not a thing I really picked up on. But huh. well, somebody told that me I that that's just the style about. right now. That it hasn't always been that way uh, with female fashion in Tokyo, but that it's just what's in right now. And I was like, okay. I I, I said I don't know any. I've never been to Tokyo before. I just it was just something I noticed because literally every woman had these necklines, all the same necklines. So, and I bought a ton of shirts. I bought a ton of stuff when I was there. I'm very excited to wear Ooh. them. It's very fun. Yay! We're all anyway. Minds. That's it. Bit. I'm I'm done. I'm done talking about TGS now. 
I ate so much ramen, you guys. I oh, can't eat ramen. Oh, what ramen so bad? Oh, just dream about it. Mm, ramen, oh, delicious. Oh, Brothy sweet, ramen. sweet noodles. Shh, 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 shh. <laughs> Don't describe food to me, Simer. Sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> um, do you ladies have have any questions or anything you would like to add before we wrap up the show? Uh, no, no crickets. It's crickets. Just crickets. No, it, you said you thought the show would go three hours, and it almost almost went three almost hours. Made it almost. Yeah, not quite. We covered covered a lot of good things. We're gonna miss you these following two weeks, Andrea Renee. Aw, thanks. I'm gonna miss you too. I'm so tired, and I haven't even left yet. Yeah, that's that sounds about right. That's. <laughs> but this is a, this is a relaxation vacation, right? Like you're just going to chill. Yes. Yeah, so unlike my previous two um, outings out of the country, this is this is something I planned with my mom forever ago. She has never been outside North America, and she's never been to Europe. And I wanted to take her, and so we planned this this vacation, and it just happened to fall at this time of the year. So sadly, we're missing New York Comic Con. I know some people have reached out to ask if we will be there. We will not be in New York uh, next weekend. Um, but as we mentioned at the top of the show, we will be going to TwitchCon. But yeah, so I'm hoping to be able to unplug. And you know, like I said, I'm going to try not to bring my console, even though I probably will. Um, <laughs> so that way, you know, I can I can I can focus on you know just having a having a good time with my mama, mm-hmm. and you know walking around Italy and looking at stuff that's really old and yeah. pretending like I'm in Assassin's Creed and eating really good food. Hopefully, yeah. I wasn't going to I wasn't going to bring that up oh, shit. I'm sorry. It's because I'm so tired. I just I don't I'm like a goldfish right now. I don't have the attention span. <laughs> it's okay. We're all ladies and gentlemen, I'll keep this very quick. Long story short, I am drinking powdered powdered drinks for 3 weeks. That's all I can eat. That's all I can drink. And the my my mom was over today and she gave my dog turkey bacon, dog turkey bacon, and I almost tackled him for it because it just sounds so good. So when you're contemplating dog food, you know that life's rough. (laughs) 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 All right. Quit the podcast. We're done. Oh, man. Uh, Just so you guys don't get worried. She is under doctor supervision and she's going back to see her doctor tomorrow to check in. Yeah. I'm, At I'm, which point we told we told her tell your doctor to give you more of these powder things. You need more of that. <laughs> I know. I'm a okay. It's to treat a weird digestive gut thing, and I'm sure I'll talk about it more next week because I'm probably gonna be even more out of it than I am this week. But it's fine because you love me unconditionally, and I'll have my rock solid Steimer there to hold me up. Don't you roll exactly. your eyes at me? This no, I'm laughing at me being the idea of me being rock solid. You are rock solid Steimer. I'm being eroded by TM. a river. It's fine. <laughs> Oh my gosh! Like the river of life—it's yeah. eroding you down. What's of course? Yeah. Isn't that what it's supposed to do? No, gosh, I hope not. Oh, I'm pretty sure it is. That's right. how we all die. Anyways, let's go. Oh boy, <laughs> friends, this has been fun. We hope you enjoyed the show. As always, please connect with us on social media. You can find us on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram. If you 
cannot afford to be part of patreon.com slash what's good games that's not a problem please just drop us a, a rating on itunes maybe leave us a review maybe hit that subscribe button on youtube or give us a thumbs up or hit notifications all of that support helps us here at what's good games and we thank you so much for being part of our fantastic community have a wonderful weekend and we'll be back with more video games next week bye everybody